My name is Damalare Sonoiki, and this is not another industry podcast. An excuse for me to talk to the most interesting and inspiring people in media and entertainment. So everyone from actors to producers, writers, models, influencers, and everything in between. On this episode, we are joined by Armand Sadler, a, uh, a hip hop reporter at Vibe Magazine. Here's Armand. All right. We got Armand Sadler here, hip hop reporter at Vibe. Uh, also a wrestling aficionado. Very, very happy to have you. Um, yeah, so like walk us through. So like I know a little bit about you, you know, Stay Busy podcast. You went to Cornell, so you have some mutual friends. You interviewed a friend of mine, Max O'Cream. But like walk us through. Like I feel like, you know, everyone from, you know, the type of schools, Cornell and stuff, they all end up doing the sort of fast money. Not always, but like, oh, investment banking, consulting. Like you went a completely different route. What was that like? Like, when, like, how long have you known that you want to do music journalism? I actually figured it out in college, to be honest. I, um, in like middle school and high school, most of high school, I wanted to be a lawyer. So uh, the high school I went to, it was a magnet program that had like five different majors. And I was in the law and public safety major. So every year I was taking normal high school classes, but then taking law classes too. And we did like mock trials and I got to go visit courts and stuff. So I, I wanted to be a lawyer because I loved arguing. Honestly, I'm a very opinionated person. I love the, I love communication, you know, whether I'm agreeing with someone or not, I just, I genuinely enjoy talking, but also listening and analyzing things. And so I went to Syracuse summer college and I took law classes and those were cool. And then the following summer, I went to University of Maryland Summer College. And I decided because I feel like I know I'm going to pursue law, let me take a class in something else. So I took a communication course. And that shit was mad fun. I didn't realize how invested I was in news and in media and in learning, you know, deeper than the surface communication, like rhetoric and um, you know, we took, we took different trips to, I, f I forget where we went, but like just learning how that field, how I possess skills that can make me successful in that field and also not have to do three more years of school <laughs> and yeah. thinking about how much I loved ESPN, woke up every day, watch sports center, first take all that, obviously uh, when I wasn't at school, um, I, that experience at University of Maryland College Park had me like, hmm, do I want to pursue being a sports broadcaster instead? And then I thought about where I wanted to go to school. And Syracuse was my, was my number one choice, actually. And they have one of the best communication schools in the country. So that's where I originally wanted to go. And then visited Cornell, fell in love with it. I, I went up in the fall when it wasn't like too cold yet. <laughs> um, so it, it was still, it was still gorgeous up there. And I was like, damn, like I, I, I feel right here. So while my original plan was to apply early decision to Syracuse, I just applied regular decision to both, um, got into Cornell, Syracuse waitlisted me somehow. <laughs> and then, uh, let me in two, two weeks later, but by then I was decided on Cornell and decided uh, on communication. They're lost. They're lost. Uh, yeah. They, yeah, they, they, they fucked up. It was, it was. It was very surprising, very disappointing, to be honest, because I, I got into some pretty good schools. And not that Syracuse is a bad school. It's a really good school, and it's gotten better academically over the years. But I was just very shocked by it. I was like, if Cornell accepted me, then I should be able to get in everywhere. Um, but, yeah, so I went to Cornell, 
I was majoring in communication. And yeah, like I, I remember having older friends who were doing investment banking internships or people who were engineers, people who were pre-med, all that. And that shit just never interested me. I was always a creative kid. I grew up in the church, sang in the church choir. I would write raps for my cousins. Like I just did a bunch of other stuff. I was a three-sport athlete. So what sports? I played football. Um, I played basketball for a period of time. I, I played baseball my whole life. Um, and then in high school, I switched from basketball to track because I wasn't that that good at basketball to make the team. Um, but um, yeah, so it, it was it was definitely a really interesting experience. All, all that to say, a really interesting experience knowing that everything that my peers were pursuing and what they were doing, I was doing something completely different and something that I tell people a lot. Because uh, I think a lot of people are fortunate enough to have mentors in fields that that they pursue. My field, while there's a lot of people in it, I didn't really know anyone directly who did what I wanted to do um, when I eventually transitioned from wanting to do uh, sports to music journalism. And the whole music journalism thing came. Um, funny enough, I applied to an, an uh, internship at ESPN, didn't get it. Applied again the following summer, the, the the summer of my sophomore year of college, didn't get it. I was like, all right, man, you know, maybe this isn't meant for me. Like, what like what else do I like? What should I do? And that's when I found out that my cousin actually worked in music journalism. She originally was working for, for BET in, like, production. And then she transitioned into, um, into um, like, you know, like, um, writing articles and being an editor and all that. And so I, I interned with her that summer. And fell in love with it and realized, like, you know, maybe the sports thing isn't for me either, but I think that I, I could have a future in music journalism. I, I love music. I love talking about it. And I'm a pretty good writer. I love writing. So no, you're, um, you're a great writer. You're a great writer. Thank you, man. Thank you. you. Know Pitchfork, <laughs> um, obviously Vibe. Yeah, yeah. Pitchfork, Billboard, uh, Consequence of Sound, Hip Hop DX. Um, where else? Where else? Where I've written? I, I'll be forget. I'll up rocks. I'll be forgetting sometimes because it's been like seven years of this now. Yeah, I see. Your, um, I see your name in a lot. And I, yeah, I see your name in a lot of places. Like even you know, obviously up until uh, you know, uh, vibe vibe uh, sniped you. But yeah. yeah, I mean, what what was your childhood like? I feel like you know, you never. I don't know because I feel like my childhood. I, don't know, I feel like your childhood obviously influences a lot, like your perspective and like what type of person you are. And I think mm -hmm. that like um, you know, were you like. You come up in the trenches. Were you like in, you know, in Edgewater? Well, no, Edgewater is that the good part? What's the good Ed, part? Edgewater is really nice. Yeah, Edgewater is the really nice part. Okay, of, yeah. Um, I was gonna say you come up in the trenches. Jersey. Did you come up in Short Hills? You know? So I'm, I'm not even gonna front. Like I had, like I grew up in a rough area. Like Englewood is a very nice town. Like I always describe it. The the train tracks are like in the middle of the town, and if you go above the train tracks, that's where all the Jewish rich Jewish people live. Behind the train tracks is where well, all we're the gonna get canceled. <laughs> Yeah, probably. But that's, I mean, this, this is the truth, though. Like, yeah. because, like, if you go above the train tracks, that's where, like, fucking Starbucks is and Baumgart's and Ben and & Jerry's. And then below the train tracks is where all the, like, Spanish corner stores and Jamaican stores and all of the places that, like, you would, well, you, you, you rich, so you'd be on a fancy place to eat. But, um, <laughs> chill, but, chill, chill. <laughs> but, like, you know, the places that me, when, when I had my little $5, the, those places that I would go eat. Um, in terms of like the racial makeup, it's a really diverse town. It's one of those small towns where like a lot of the people try to act like they're tougher or they try to act like they came up in the trenches, but like pretty much everyone is doing, doing okay in Englewood. Um, so I, I definitely am, I'm not going to act like I came up in, in the trenches or anything. My parents weren't rich for sure, 
Like I heard no a lot in, in life. Like I, I never had a sidekick. <laughs> they wasn't buying me Jordans all the time. I wasn't going to concerts. I wasn't going to wrestling shows. Like, you know, they gave me everything I needed. But so like I wasn't broke, but but I wasn't I wasn't born out either. Um, but I definitely had a humble childhood just in that my dad uh, was 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 in the Navy for a bit. He was a college athlete. Um, he, he grew up in Cali. Um, football or what was he? Football? Yeah, 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 yeah. My dad played football, coach football, too. Um, and then my mom, uh, she came here from Haiti when she was three and she was one of seven um, Haitian dad, Haitian mom. So just very strict, like they were really like rags to riches type story. And they did really well with, you know, my mom and her siblings. And so I think that the way that my mom came up, she kind of raised us similarly in that we weren't really doing luxurious shit, but like we had everything we needed and she just put us in positions to get to the point where we could, you know, provide our kids with a super luxurious life. So, um, yeah, yeah did, definitely had like humble beginnings, but, um, I, I appreciate it looking back on it. Yeah. Not the, so it's funny. I asked because I feel like when you go to these schools, like these fancy, like it's like the college essay, right? It's designed to, you, you want to play up your sort of like, like if you're basically, if you're, a rich white person, your college essay is like how I helped a poor person, basically, right? Like, essentially. Yeah. And if you're like a black person, your college essay tends to be like how I came up from racks. You know, like, you want to, like, yeah. I feel like once you, once you get to these schools, one, you're around so much wealth that you're like, oh, snap, like my whatever upbringing was, you know, there's a whole other world out there. Yeah. But also, I feel like you almost get encouraged to play up like your any sort of struggle. And I think I look back and I'm like, like I was always around, like like I grew up around, you know, with Maxo and like A Leaf and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I was always around stuff, and I, you know, I, I have had my share of, you know, like my, my when I was in sixth grade, my house got shot, and then I got shot on, on accident on some some super stupid drive. Like a friend of mine had got shot, and he we were we were at his house. He was like, oh, I know who shot me. He was me, him, and my other friend like passing around the gun, and then my friend who got shot, like he's about to put it back, and he's messing with them. Like yo, make sure it's on safety. And he's like, it is, mm-hmm. and then he pulled the trigger. But like I look back, and I'm like. But I was never, yeah, but I was never, you know, in a, like, I always had food on the table. I always had clothes. You know what I mean? I always had shoes. Like, I mean, I, I had the fancy, you know, I wasn't into Jordans or anything, but like, I think that it's easy to kind of, it reminds me of the rappers who are like, yo, I ain't never had, you know, you hear these stories of rappers that are like, yo, I ain't never had shit. And their mom is like, bro, what are you talking about? You know, like, <laughs> yeah. we, I was right there. I was there with you. Yeah. You know, um, yeah, or like, no. Like I would, I would never even cap like that on any platform. Cause if, if, if my mom or dad heard that they would probably feel disrespected um and that that's the generation that my parents grew up in is just like we we're just giving you what you need like <laughs> like you we're, we're giving you what you need clothes food somewhere to live you know all the other shit that, that that don't really matter to us and that that's how my parents raised me which again i appreciate to an extent but i definitely want to be at a place where i can spoil my kids so me having to hear no for certain things that i wanted gave me the motivation to really work hard and get to a place where I, I don't have to tell my kids no as often. Anyway, I just got water all over my face. <laughs> um, but no, I, I I think that, um yeah, I think that's very mature, right? I think that like, it's very mature to know that like, wait a second, like, sure, I get like cool points from other people saying, oh, I came up this way, but like, how's like, how like your parents would look at you crazy, right? It's like, whoa, that was yeah. not how it was at all. So, okay, yeah. so you're at Cornell. So you start you started writing, you said for your high school paper? Uh, college, college, college. college uh, right, right. Well, actually, I I wasn't writing for 
any of the college papers, which is crazy looking back because because they did reach out to me at one point to write for them. But I, I was I was writing for MusicTimes.com. That's so that's which where my cousin worked. Uh, I, I interned there in New York City, and then um, I was working with this startup blog called Hand Me the Ox, which started um, in Atlanta, Georgia, by like one of my classmates at Cornell and his friends. So I was That's writing there. Title. That's a dope it was title. Really dope title. Like we did some really dope stuff branding wise. They were all super dope. Like I, I can't tell my my journalism story without bringing Hand Me the Ox up. Like I didn't make a dime from there, and I don't even care just because they gave me the creative freedom to really explore my thoughts, explore my opinions, put shit out, see people's reactions to it, try different things. Like I really, again, I, I didn't have any mentors, so I really had to figure this shit out for myself. Um, like I, I had peers who I could ask questions to like Regina Cho. I always bring her up. She's, uh, w- like genuinely like a really close friend. Um, but I never felt like I had someone older than me who could kind of give me the keys. Not that I needed them to hand me stuff, but just like, yeah, but just to hold, hold, hold my hand. Yeah. While I'm walking, like I, f- yeah. I felt like I never had that. So I really f- had to figure out everything on my own. And so I'm thankful for the opportunities where I didn't feel uh, creatively stifled. Cause that'll really like have you not feeling motivated is when like you can't do what you feel like you're really good at. Um, you know, someone is kind of curating all, all your content for you. So yeah, man. Yeah, no, that's real. I think that, um, you know, and I, you, you, it's always good to have, like, if you, if there's a place you want to get, it's always good to know, so know someone who's already there. Cause then all you have to do yeah. is ask them like, how did you get there? Right. Exactly. I think like when I was in college and I was like, okay, like I did the whole, I was doing, going through the whole banking thing. I was like, okay, like these juniors and seniors, they're working at these banks. Let me ask them like how they did it. Um, or when I was into the whole TV thing, there are people with this, this uh, humor magazine on campus that they would come back and they'd written for all these, you know, 30 rock, the office. And so it's like, okay, like, Hey, how did you do that? You know, how did you, how did you end up at SNL? Right. And yeah. I think, you know, like it's always, and that's what part one of the reasons I want to do this pod, like bringing so many different people from different backgrounds. It's like, okay, like how did y'all like, cause there's going to be somebody like, I was lucky enough to have access to these people, right. In college yeah. who are doing these things. So I can always ask them, but there are people out there who don't have that access. So, okay. So yeah. you're, you're, you're writing. So like, you know, what, what did you, what did you study at, at Cornell? Communication. Yeah. Okay. Uh, communication focus in media studies. I think I did like a business concentration too. Um, I considered double majoring at du- double majoring at one point. I didn't do it. Um, but I felt like my curriculum within the communication at Cornell, like I'm really thankful for it. Like, I got to take like psychology of media classes and like, uh, entertainment and mass media and then visual communication and then, um, uh, speech like all you know like doing like oral communication stuff like that so i really got to take a lot of different things that that are relevant to what i do now um so i'm really i'm really thankful for that yeah i mean no doing a solo pod like i couldn't do you know i have a friend who does like who does a twitch stream all day basically every day and i'm like i couldn't do that or even like a solo Mm -hmm. pod like i just like like, i've seen you know stay busy i know you have guests too but like to carry Mm -hmm. that it's not i think it's funny i think there are people who are like even I think I was that way a little bit at some point. Like, oh, this person, you hear about some of these Twitch streamers. And like my friend, he doesn't talk about, he doesn't do video games. He like talks about, he talks about, he talks about politics. Yeah. So it's like, you, people are like, oh, this person's getting paid hundreds of thousands of dollars, millions to sit in front of their, their, uh, their computer screen. But it's like, yo, it's hard. It's not easy it's, to like be, to carry something solo. Like I, I see, like now that I'm, I'm hearing you say that, I, like when I think back to watching and listening to Stay Busy, I'm like, oh yeah, I could see the communication skills and like see the rhetoric and see you like yeah. carrying even your voice, right? Like sonically, um, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah. So that, that's dope. So, so like you graduate, like what, what, what's your first job? Cause I feel like, again, like 
I'm sure I, I feel like I assume Cornell is the same where like all of black Harvard kind of gets to school freshman year and it's like, yo, I want to be a doctor. I want to mm-hmm. save the world. I want to work in social justice. I want to, you know, help. I want to be basically, I want to be Barack Obama, you know, com- let's see, community organizer, all that stuff. And then like, you know, you, that first, that fall comes that first few weeks, you see how much money these, you know, Morgan Stanley talking about. And you're like, Oh Man. snap, hold on. I can make, especially when you come from a certain background, say, I can make more than my, pa- like, twice as much maybe maybe three yeah. times four times as much sometimes for some people as my parents yeah. fresh out of college like oh i'm in there and yeah. so what was that like because you you know like going going in a different direction um and going you know what was like your first job and what was it like like what like, i'm sure you had some parents who were like oh like i'm i got my apartment downtown i'm living it up like i'm doing <laughs> yeah. that. like what was that like being like all right you're, you know you're on this path it's gonna be slower but like you're still it's where you want to go so funny enough that my first job out of college wasn't a writing job. I realized that, you know, I, I interned at the Source magazine before I graduated, you know, writing with Hammy the Ox, doing different things. I had a decent resume, but I wasn't qualified to be a staff writer, you know, or a hip hop reporter like I am now. Like I wasn't ready to be on a staff. And I'm thankful I didn't get that opportunity because if I did get it back then, I probably would have fumbled it because I feel overwhelmed now doing this shit. And I'm, and I'm seven years in and I'm, I'm pretty good at it. Um, so my first job, I worked in IT recruitment. I was, I was just chilling at the crib one day, you know, on LinkedIn, you like say you're open for, for, um, employment. You start applying random places. You put your interests. This, none of this shit was my interest, but this place reached out to me, sent me a, you know, a LinkedIn DM said, Hey, we want to, you know, set up a call, an informative call. I talked to them. I was like, okay, I guess this sounds cool. Um, they did my research. I was like, okay, like I'm kind of. So I'm somewhat doing consulting stuff, but really I'm just like a headhunter. So I just talk on the phone all day and like, you know, talk to companies and help them fill roles. Like that sounds simple enough. Um, so I went in for the interview, did pretty well, went in for the second interview, got offered the job. Within two weeks, I hated it. And honestly, a, a big part of that was because it was like an all white team. Like there were very few black people in there. And I've, I've realized and, and you know, you, you talked about this earlier, like going to Cornell and realizing people had way more money, way more money than me. Also, it was just a very small black community. I think it was like eight percent black at Cornell. Oh, wow. really small, tight knit. It might, it might have been a little more than that. But like it was a very small, tight knit community. And going to Cornell showed me how broke I was and also how much of a nigga I was. Like I grew up with white friends. I grew up with a lot of diverse friends, but college, you know, you're going to school with some people who didn't grow up around black people and they don't realize, you know, things they say can be microaggressions or macroaggressions. Like you, you just have these different encounters. And so, you know, I can okay, give I us, well. you have to give us an example now. Like what was like a, an example where you're like, yeah, I cannot believe this person just did this or said this. This wasn't like offensive to me, but I was so we we got a fall break in I think like the first or second week of October. It was the second week of October because my mom's birthday is um the the twelfth of October. It's so like the second week, and I, I just planned to go home to surprise her. She didn't think I was coming home, so I went home, surprised her. You know, we had lunch, dinner. Some of these white people was taking trips to Europe for that three day break we had, like <laughs> going to Europe for a three day college break, just like it was nothing. 
I'm, I'm just like, bro, like, oh, you man. don't want to go home and see your family? Like, <laughs> so at, at, I think it's the same break, actually. At HBS, it's like a tradition. So basically, like, uh, at Harvard Business School, which is, you know, not the undergrad, but it's like, you know, the business school. Um, it's like a tradition. I don't know if it's the exact same weekend. I think it is to go to Oktoberfest, like to literally go to Germany for like, yeah. you know, it's like a yeah. 48 hour, maybe 72 hour trip. But, you know, you have all these people, HBS, obviously very rich people who, have, mm-hmm. you know, also usually people who have worked in really lucrative industries. But yeah, I mean, it's, uh, so, I mean, I had a, you know, someone uh, I went to school with, her dad bought the Scream, like the Edward Munch, or I don't know if it was Edward or Edward, but um, the the Scream for Jesus. like, I, I want to say like $120 million. Um, <laughs> You know, her dad's like, you know, this, this like, I mean, well, I guess you just Google who bought it. Yeah, $119,922,500. Bro, that extra people have money. <laughs> yeah, no, so that's a little bit like, you're like, oh, snap. But okay, yeah. so like you're, you're doing this IT thing, you're working with these with these white folks, and it, yeah, you're, um, so it's kind of like almost like Cornell again, basically being around. Yeah, um, yeah, to an extent, but like a lot cornier people. <laughs> and without the say, the group of like a tight knit sort of black community. Yeah, and they're my coworkers, so like I wasn't really trying to like be friends, but they were. They're one of those jobs who says like, "Oh, we're a family. We all love each other," and you get there, and it's just shitty. It's just yeah, very uh, shitty, like. Bring, my your direct whole, manager. bring your whole self to work. Bring your whole yeah, self to work. Yeah, bro. Like, my, my direct manager was an asshole. His boss was an asshole. His boss's boss was an asshole. And, I, and I, again, I was young. I wasn't ready to be in the, the workforce. And so that experience really taught me, like, one, because I wasn't happy there, despite, you know, I, I was making, like, 40K, which at the time was the most money I'd ever made. So I was hype about that. But I hated the job. And commuting from Jersey to New York will really take a toll on you, um, especially like late nights. And it's like, cool, I'm working in the city. So theoretically, I'll be closer to my friends. I can hang with my friends more, blah, 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 all that. That wasn't a sustainable lifestyle. So it was just a lot wrong with it. And it, it that really showed me like, I need to be doing something within what, what I really want to do. Like I've always been stubborn with my goals, but it's paid off for me. So I don't like have any regrets about it. But that four to five months I was there because I, I didn't last a year there. Um, I And I, I was actually planning to move with my girl. She was moving to New Orleans to do Teach for America. So I told them that I was going to be leaving soon. And they ended up firing me like three weeks after that. So I was like, like you know, it's a, it's a blessing in disguise, to be honest. Yeah, so I, you, you, I hated yeah. it there. Yeah, you can't quit. You're fired. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, I mean, stuff. I feel like I never... I think we had somewhat similar experiences where like, but, but my reaction was like, okay, I don't look for joy in work. Like, I think that like, so when I was in college, mm. when I was in college, like every, okay. It's not like every black person at Harvard does the wall street thing. Or even everyone at Harvard does it. Like, I, I think it's, it's who you associate with. Like, I think I was hanging out with those people. Like if I look back, like there are a lot of people from Harvard who, or from any of these schools who like might end up as like baristas, right. Or like might do, <laughs> might, might teach or like might go to grad school. Like obviously. So, but like as far as the sort of financey people, um, yeah, like I think that like every, all the black students who were in that in that world, like we were like we're on our grind, like we're going to every recruiting event, like yo, I got to work at Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs, Barclays, Credit Suisse, you know, every summer. Yeah. And I think that every time I would meet somebody, I'll never forget. Like, I remember I would meet people who were doing a completely off the beaten path thing, and every time their dad was like, like I remember I met this girl, um, she was really dope by the way. Um, I was writing for the, the Harvard Crimson, the, the school newspaper. And she's like really cool. And I remember she was like, I was like, what are you doing this summer? And I'm used to hearing all, you know, like black Harvard is super tight. I'm used to hearing all the black people say, you know, I'm doing this internship. I'm doing that internship. Like I'm planning out my next five, 10 years. And she's like, oh, I'm going to like backpack across Europe. 
And I look her up, and like her dad is uh, Elliot Spitzer, like the former governor of New York. And it's like, yeah. okay, well, yeah, you, you can backpack across Europe. You can and afford I, that. <laughs> yeah, and, I, and I met like, uh, there's this one girl, I was in a screenwriting class, and there's one girl who, she's like super eccentric. She had like a, you know, maybe like pink hair, and she had like a pet pig, and like she lived off campus, because obviously you can't have a pet pig on, on dorm. And like yeah. no one at Harvard lives off campus. And so I was like, oh, she's just super eccentric. And I remember I found out that she was Rudy Giuliani's daughter because she got caught shoplifting over Christmas break. And it became like a huge, like a national <laughs> story. Cause it's like, you know, Rudy Giuliani, obviously he's like a tough on crime person. And, yeah. you know, this is pre-Trump and all that stuff. He's like, a, you know, tough on crime, took on the mob, nine, mayor of 9-11, America's mayor. And so his daughter get, gets caught shoplifting. So I'm like, okay, like every time I meet somebody who's doing like a cool, eccentric, different thing, their dad is literally a new, like, like worth eight, nine figures. Yeah. You know, is a, is a, is a, is a head of, you know, is, is a governor of the most populous city in the, uh, of the most populous, uh, you know, you know, governor of New York or like, um, mayor of the most, the, the most important city in the, in the world, maybe. Yeah. Um, and so it made me feel like, you know, I regret that a little bit because I think it made me feel like I can't pursue my, like my, my, like kind of more like, I can't do something off the beaten path because to go off the beaten path, you need to have a father or a family. You need to have a last name behind you. Yeah. Um, that was, that was the toughest thing because shit, as of like, as of last year, sometimes my dad would be like, yo, you should have kept that recruitment job. Like, you know, you like, you, you haven't made that much money since then. Like I'm, I'm going to be transparent. Here. I got no problem. Cause I'm making bread now, but like from, from the recruitment job to, uh, to this year, I really wasn't like, making good bread at what I was doing. I was, I worked at UPS for a period of time. I was valeting cars at a car dealership. I was tutoring at fucking Huntington learning center. Like I was doing different stuff and I was making enough to like survive, but I, re- I, I never made as much as I made at that recruitment job. And so my dad would be like, yo, you should have stayed there, you know, saved up. And I was like, but I, I wasn't happy and I can't stay somewhere and really put my all into something and be the best at it if it doesn't make me happy. So while I appreciate being stubborn in that, I admire people who can kind of separate work from their, you know, emotions and their, and their gratification and just can do a job to, you know, make a a living wage. Cause for me, just with what I put into what I do, it has to be something that I genuinely get joy out of. Yeah, no, it's funny. Also, I love how like I feel like Haitians are probably similar to Africans, where they're just like very frank, you know, like yes, yeah, you yes. like basically, yeah, like you broke ass, you know, like oh you man, know, like, yeah, like, you know, like they they just straight up like they, they don't really pull punches. Africans are also that way about weight, like they'll literally be like, yo, like you got like to women too, like I'll, you'll be at Thanksgiving mm-hmm. or something. They're like, oh, like are you are you pregnant? Like you got him fat? Like they'll literally just say you got him fat. You got, like, yeah. Dude, like Africans and I guess Haitians too just have no filter when it comes to comes to that stuff. There's no sort of like, oh, like caring about somebody's feelings. It's like, wait, what are feelings? My grandmother, my grandmother did not believe journalism was a real job. Like she was like, Oh, you're right, that's cool. But like, you know, are you gonna get a real job? I was like, that's gonna be my real job. And, you know, unfortunately she she's not around to see, you know, what I'm doing now. But like I told her, I was like, I'm I'm gonna make this shit happen. But yeah, she did not, <laughs> she did not believe in it at all my, my grandfather was cool he he never really like told me what to do or you know like was was like blunt about me pursuing my dreams but grandma was not with the shits at all at all well so i mean i think the thing about like you know i always think about like an overnight success takes like seven years you know so i think like you know you 
Like, I'm sure someone sees you now, yeah, this dude's at Vibe, but it's like they don't know about the UPS and the valet and cars. And so, so I, I assume that, that, that all that time you're also writing, like you're writing for other yeah. like, uprocks. Yeah, like man. That. Yeah, that was, that was the toughest thing. Like the hardest period of my life was when I was, you know, uh, valeting at the car dealership because my shift started at 645 in the morning. So I had to be up by like five something, get ready, get to the dealership because the dealership opened at seven. I'm there valeting cars that are getting serviced from like 7 a.m., to like 5.30 p.m. So that's, what, 10 hours out of my day, 10 and a half hours out of my day, going to the gym after that, getting home like 7, 7.30, eating, showering, blah, blah, blah. If I had the energy to write, I would write. So I really wasn't writing all that much while I was doing that. And I wasn't making shit either. Um, but yeah, throughout all these jobs, I was I I, I kept the pen moving. Um, crazy enough, and I've, I've said this on a couple podcasts, I really didn't see big success in journalism until the pandemic. Um, I was home all day. I had time to really listen to music and put my time into writing and do my self editing and, you know, network with people. Cause what else was there to do? Like we was just in the crib. Like I was playing call of duty Warzone. I was drinking and I was, I was networking on social media and I, I put together some of my best articles cause I had the time to really sit with things and like really work concepts out. Um, and that, that, that's my other thing. Like I was never the machine writer where I was putting stuff out every day. Well, I, I, I was for a period of time, but I think as I got better, I focused more on quality over quantity. And so there, there would be times over the last couple of years, where I would go a few months without putting anything out, but people would notice my absence. And then when I came back and dropped something, it, it would be big. And so I really focused on that throughout the pandemic. And I, that's what, like when I did the Dark Lane demo tapes review, that one, you know, really went crazy. When where'd, you, I, where'd you do that at? I put that on Medium. So okay. uh, Medi- yeah, Medium, I'm sure you're aware of it. But for those who are listening who don't know, it's a, it's an independent publication where like you can you can literally sign up and just write articles for them. Uh, like you don't no no one's editing you. You don't have to pitch anybody. You can literally make an account and put articles out. And that was a time where I was kind of tired of pitching to publications. I'd worked with a few publications that didn't know what the fuck they were doing. And I was like, you know, like, I'm going to just do this shit myself. And that's where I saw the most success at that time, which was crazy. When you say they didn't, they didn't know what they were doing, like what, what, how did that matter? Like, how did that display itself? So there was one place I worked for. They started in like 2019 and the, the the website or the publication was run by someone who came for, whose background was in video game streaming and video game content creation. So he built up a strong following on YouTube. And for some reason, he thought, OK, I was able to do this. I'm going to start a, a music website. And so he started. He hit me up. This is when I was like a bright eyed young writer just trying to write anywhere. I saw they had like 35K followers on, on social media. I was like, okay, cool. That's, that's big enough. I started writing for them. And I was, I was carrying it for a while. Like me, me and this one other dude were carrying the website. And I, I was trying to move like these bigger websites did. Like I was trying to have us do stuff that Complex did or Revolt did or DX did or XXL. And they just didn't get it. Like, they didn't know how to run social media. They, they didn't they didn't understand like the technicalities of writing. Like they just really wanted to go viral. And honestly, the dude who owned it, like his one goal was just to get a Meek Mill interview. So he was trying to like he, he was trying to get me to talk to people who were friends of Meek's 
so we can somehow meet Meek and get a Meek interview. And I'm like, it's so much bigger than that. Like, are you here for journalism and storytelling or are you here to meet your favorite rapper? And a lot of the time it, it just felt like it, it was clout chasing, which well, really... Yeah, there are also easier ways to meet Meek Mill. I mean, I think that, like, if you really want to meet Meek Mill, I feel like there's got to be, like, an easier way than starting an entire music publication for the purpose of landing a single interview. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't yeah. know that Meek is so hard to find. Yeah, um, it was it, it, it was a wild experience. And sometimes I felt crazy. I was like, yo, am I am I just problematic? Like, do I cause problems everywhere I go? But it's like, no, I've worked at professional places. I know how this shit is supposed to run. And I know what someone's intention should be. And I just can't fake fake it. Like, I can't work with people who don't really respect, you know, this and respect yeah. the, the ethics of it and do it at a high level for a certain purpose. Um, so, yeah, I, I got out of there and, yeah, well, I went to Medium. And that's how Brett Fias quote tweeted me and Bryson Tiller followed me. Like I, I just did independent articles on them and their stuff. And I, I did some really great shit. Um, yeah. I remember you had a pretty big interview. Which one was it? Was it, I remember you did a pretty big one over there. I, I talked to, I, I, for, for that website that I haven't named, I talked to Pusha T for them in 2022, uh, in 2020 comma two, not 2022. Um, but yeah, I talked to Pusha T, um, Two years after the whole Drake beef, so that was that was a really interesting conversation. Uh, yeah, he was, you're, you're you're a big Drake fan. We're gonna get into that, but we're, I'm sure <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll get into that. Um, yeah, but but I'm also a Push fan, and I grew up listening to Push, so that was like a cool moment for me um, as a, as a journalist and as just someone who loved music. As a Drake fan, of course, it was like I was stepping into enemy territory. But um, he was he was a cool dude. Like that's that's one thing I'll tell anyone about Push. Like regardless of how they feel about him, like if you just talk to him, like outside of the bravado of rap, and he, he is a very confident guy, but super cool, super polite. Like I, it, it was a great conversation. Like he, like I, it, easily a highlight of my career. Yeah, well, you you have to be confident to rap. I remember I was talking to a friend of mine like a year ago. I was like, I was like, I'm thinking about, I want to start a podcast. I was like, I don't know. I was like, but everybody, I feel like everybody has a podcast. He's like, yeah, that's like saying you're not going to rap because everybody raps. And this friend, he manages, you know, pretty big, a couple pretty big. Well, I'll just say like, Toby, he manages, you know, Maxo, um, Mona Leo, Guapo. And so, you know, you can't, like rappers have to have that, especially now when it's so democratized, almost like podcasting, where like anyone can have the equipment, like there's Free Loop Studios, there's, yeah, even I mean, people re- record, I mean, I know uh, 40, like OVO 40 is like, yo, like I could pretty much run, run a whole set up through a phone. And so, yeah, you can't not have a not have the confidence. So, okay, exactly. okay, yeah. So, I guess what are your like? What are your proudest? I so said the push interview. Like, what are your other? I mean, you know, the push interview, Bryson Tiller, um, Brent Fayez. But what, like, what are your yeah. biggest sort of like? What are you most proud of? And I, I try not to hang on the Brent and Bryson things too much because I didn't actually interview them. Like, it was just a quote tweet and a, a Twitter follow. Still cool moments, but like, I think in terms of actual work that I've done with artists, uh, interviewing Maxo was dope as well. Um, he's super cool, dude. Um, funny as hell. Um, a wrestling fan as well, so we connected there. I think getting my uh, getting my placements in vibe earlier this year, and them letting me rank more life because that's my favorite Drake project ever. So getting to rank more life and see how people reacted to that—that that was really dope. Man, wait, um, is it, is, is it still your favorite project after her loss came out? 
Yeah. We're going to get into, you know, because we're we're both decent Drake connoisseurs. Um, We'll get into (laughs) that. Um, Yeah. But okay, so yeah, those are those are some good moments. Um, mm. And how'd you end up at Vibe? You know, I'm sure you know, like that's it. well. I guess two questions: one, how'd you end up at Vibe, and then two, like who are you? Who do you look up to? You know, because I feel like I see you, I like like there's Elliot Wilson, right? Like yeah. like who, you know, who's really who you look up to, and like especially now, like do you have mentors now that you're kind of coming up? But I guess first, how'd you end up at Vibe? Yeah. So um, earlier this year, I connected with. Um, this writer by the name of Austin Williams, who used to be the senior music editor at Vibe. Actually, I connected with him years ago, but he started working at Vibe last year. And I hit him up in like December. I was like, yo, like, you know, I would love to write for you guys. He was like, yeah, hit me up top of the year. So I hit him up top of the year. And eventually, you know, we talked um, right around when Con- Conway, the Machines album dropped. So I was like February, mid-February, maybe. Um, I went to his listening party and then I, I reviewed his album. And that was my first placement on Vibe. And then a month later, Austin hey, pause, hit me up. Pause. I don't, cause I, this is not my world as much. So like, how does that, like you, you pitched them and like, how, like how were you there on their behalf? Like how, how's that even works? Yeah. So he pitched me about it. Um, he, he, he commissioned me rather. So yeah. So for freelancing, which I, I was going to get into earlier, um, freelancing is when you're writing for places, but you're not on staff. You're just doing like one-offs. It's kind of like doing like a 10 day contract in the NBA. Um, where you're just you're there for a period of time, you put your piece out, but you're not officially associated with the team. Um, so I I reached out to freelance for Vibe, and then he commissioned me the the Conway uh, album review, and then he saw the way I wrote it, he liked it, he was like, I'm definitely gonna have more stuff for you. I was like, bet. And then the very next month, he hit me up. He was like, Yo, more life's five anniversaries this month. I want you to rank the album and write blurbs about it and give each song like a nickname i was like oh this is right up my alley like this is this is like more life is like an album i've connected with on a level like no other album before so it like writing that felt so easy and it it was fun to see a lot of people agreed with the order that i picked and so yeah i had those two pieces well and then i I have to say you did we we, talked we talked about it because you you were down to two I think you, I don't know if you went with the one I, what I said. I remember you were down like Passion Fruit and Do Not Disturb. Passion Fruit was was my number one. Do Not Disturb okay. was number two. Yeah, I think yeah, I yeah. think that when we were DMing about it because you were hitting me up and I remember I was mm-hmm. like, I think I was like Passion like Passion Fruit's like I don't know. I think I can't remember what I said to you, but I remember being like, I'll find it. But I remember being like, Yo, Passion, I'm, I'm Team Passion Fruit, but I had like a a, a very specific rationale for being Passion Fruit. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I I just think um, it is. A song unlike anything he's ever made. And that was it. That was it. That for was it. it to be so good in so many different ways, the songwriting itself, the melody, the the production of it, the story of it, the vibe of it, like it it's it, it's honestly there's nothing that's wrong with that song to me. And so I think for that to be one of one in his catalog when he's made songs like do not disturb before. That's what made me that ultimately I, go I, with passion I, fruit. I want to, I I'm using my phone to record like a backup video, but I want to mm. go through my phone. Cause I, I feel like that was exactly what I said. I think I was like, yeah, do not disturb. They're like other, like do not disturb is basically another version of, you know, the, the timestamp songs. I mean, it's literally like he says, you know, 7am in Germany. Can't believe that they heard of me. Yeah. So like it is like, it has that same vibe of just like Drake blacking out and like just doing these really sort of introspective mm. raps, 
you know, with no hook really. Um, whereas yeah. like they're really you can't really find another passion fruit in his discography. Like it's so and like There's... it's like it gets covered and it sounds like it's it's you know the song is great when like the covers of it are also so good, right? Like yeah. that means that the, the that means that the melody and the words are so good that like not that I can say that anyone could do it, but like it's so like the melody and words are so good that like you can put it in anyone's hands. And because the melody and the actual lyrics themselves are so good, it, it's gonna come off great. Yeah. So yeah, no, I remember that. That was dope. So so okay. So that was your second thing for them. And then yeah, was it just and like then, the page views just went crazy and they're like, oh, we gotta hire this dude. Like, how does it work? It, I don't even think it was the views. I don't think they mentioned views to me once. They just really liked the quality of my writing. Um, they they liked working with me. They liked how well I took criticism and feedback and. Um, you know, like sticking to deadlines, like all, all of those, all of those soft skills, but things that you need to do um, to show someone that you're reliable. Uh, they they really like that, and well, of course, well, let's wait, let's quickly let's drop. Let's talk about that because I know that you, I know that you in the past have dealt with um, basically people kind of giving feedback where it's like they don't really get it, right? Like oh, where you're yeah. you're dealing with people who like are editing you, but like I think something that you said once. And apologies if this is, you know, supposed to be, this is, this is from your close friends, but we'll see. But you're like, basically like people editing, like an editor is supposed to basically make your words better, not replace your words with their words. Right. Like basically not say like, Hey, they're supposed to help you better say what it is that you want to say, not Mm -hmm. make you say what they want you to say. Right. Exactly. A hundred percent. And that's what I appreciated about working with them as well is it, it was never you, you should say this, but you should say this this way. That's that, that's very different. Don't tell me what to say. Tell me how to communicate what I'm saying better. And I've had moments working at certain publications where I felt like I was being a proxy for someone else's thoughts. Like I'm writing a, a review of an album that I think is mid and I'm being told to be meaner. But I'm like, you're telling me to be meaner as if like, like, like you want me to trash this album and I don't want to trash it. I don't think it's trash. I just don't think it's that great. Um, well, everything so, has to be the best thing ever, the worst thing ever these days. And I guess now, like now I feel like I'm getting a peek behind the curtain. Cause I do notice that where it's like, it feels like, Hey, we need to really go. Like we need to say this album's terrible or this album's the best. And it's like, some yeah. albums are just, are just fine. You know, they're good. Like they're not, yeah. they're not terrible. They're like a six out of 10, you know, maybe like, you know, six yeah. and a half. No, a lot of these publications play to how angry, how outraged people get on social media. So you'll see like that headline when Honestly Nevermind came out where someone said it was Drake's first good album. It's like, what the fuck? Like, come on, man. Like, Wait, who, which, which, who said that? I, uh, I forget what, what writer said it. And, and it, it's, his, it's his opinion. Yeah. So that's fine. Or, or it's their like, opinion that- or it's their opinion that they're being told to say, you know. Um. But but the issue is really that headline because you're going to automatically create outrage just based off that headline. Like, yeah. you know, but, yeah, you, you can explain that thought further in the article, but some people aren't going to read past the headline. Yeah, and people, which is the problem. People, I mean, we see this in social media with politics all the time. Like, people outrage drives sharing, right? Like, if I if I sh- like. I might, I'm going to share something that like is really cute sometimes. Like you might share like, oh, look at this little puppy or this dog, you know, this chimp at the zoo did something really cute. But if you find something outrageous, if, you, if something's like makes you angry, then people will, that'll, that'll really have velocity. So obviously the same thing in music. So, um, all right. So yeah, I mean, Rolling Stone had that thing where they trashed her loss, which like, I was like, you know, like this is actually <laughs> like, I'm, you know, I didn't really love 
CLB a ton. I yeah, the, honestly never mind. This wasn't for me, but I actually loved her. I thought her loss was fire. And, it's really you good. know Rolling Stone, and they, and they used all these other you know these like kind of like oh this you know he's taking shots at these people, and it's like I mean it's, it's rap. Um, anyway, okay, so you're at Vibe, um, and I, I mean so you're you're and you're the, you're the hip hop. You're I guess the or a hip hop reporter. Like what's what's hey, the? I'm one of two hip hop reporters. Yeah. Okay, and like, do you get like? Like how much purview do you like? Do you get told like okay, cover this, cover that? Do you get to, like you know? Do you have sources? Like how's like you know? Are you reporting? Are you reviewing? Like, I have, what's wrong? I have a lot of freedom there, which I which I I love. One thing I want <clears throat> to tell any writers listening to this because I think a lot of us come up and we're like, yo, I don't want to do news writing. News writing is a necessary evil. It it's not the most fun, but you have to do it. That's what keeps the lights on. That's what keeps clicks coming into the website, and it does help you improve as a writer in terms of just presenting news objectively um you don't you don't always get to use your voice which i mean you you can use your voice but you can't always talk about just the things you want to talk about like i have to write a lot of kanye stories i hate it but it keeps keeps the lights on at at vibe magazine so I'm, i'm fine with that but um in terms of like my original content i i can do whatever i want which is amazing like i've i i've recently interviewed jermaine dupree um, I, I, that might be out by the time, um, this comes out, but I, I set that one up myself. Dame Dash. Wait, hold on, pause. So, how'd you, how'd you set, how'd you set that up? Well, also, so, I just, also the vibe name probably helps too these days. Vibe name you- definitely helps for sure. Like, and that, that's the best part too, is like, I feel like I like, I'm, I'm like wielding this power now because my name carries weight, but also it's like, Hey, I'm Armand from such and such website. Can I interview you? I, I kind of have to convince them to let me. Everyone wants to get on Vibe magazine. So I don't really get told no, which is awesome. Um, so I, I wrote an article about Mariah Carey. Jermaine Dupree, Jermaine Dupree's team shared it. Jermaine Dupree posted it on his Instagram. And then the publicist reached out to thank me. And I was like, hey, well, I'd love to talk to Jermaine Dupree. This is around when Division's album dropped and he was working closely with them. So it was perfectly timed. Hey, you're a big um, Division fan, too. I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So, yeah, I set that one up myself and it was easy because I had the vibe name. But, you know, it's never uh, while vibe is bigger than me. It's not like I'm not deserving of these opportunities. Like I've worked hard over the last seven years. I'm really good at what I do. I'm really good at interviewing. I've worked myself to the point where I can carry a conversation with Jermaine Dupree, Dame Dash. Uh, I talked to Chance the Rapper. Uh, just last night, I, I, I interviewed Sabrina Ionescu from the New York Liberty. Like the, these are conversations that I can carry a hit maker this summer. Like I I'm, I'm equipped and able to do these now. And it just helps that I have a really, the really strong backing of where I currently work. Right. Right. No, that's dope. That's, I mean, I think, yeah, that when you like, it reminds me almost of like when I was in college, right. You, you want to invite somebody to Harvard, like they'll say yes, you know, because it's like, oh, I get to, you know, if I get to, I, I remember, I mean, even after I brought, I brought Jay Prince um, to speak at Harvard in like 2018, around the time of the, when, when Drake was on tour, he, he had that stop in Boston. And, you know, just like the things like, like no one wants, no one's, it's, it's the same thing when you say like, no one really is going to say no to that. Like, oh, I get to come yeah. in. You know, so yeah, that's dope. So, exactly. and they also have the podcast. Like, so how did you start yes, doing that? Like what, what made, like, how did you start doing that? And how do you stay consistent with it? Because I feel like podcasting is so, I mean, I'm lucky now because I feel like I've gotten, I'm like, all right, I'm really taking it. I'm really doing it. You know, I'm, yeah. I have, I'm doing a bunch of episodes, so I can't like really back out. And actually, mm-hmm. I've been blessed to get some really, really dope. Like, you know, I've been, I think 
you know, it being remote has helped so much because I've getting, gotten so many like people who are, I'm almost like kind of asking almost as a long shot. Like I'm just going to text, hey, so-and-so like, and they're like, oh yeah, for sure. And I guess I forget that I've also built up these relationships over time, like, you know, being exactly. in Hollywood, writing for Blackish and stuff and, and writing for The Simpsons. But like how, um, yeah, like how did you stay consistent with it? Because I mean, most people start one and then just stop, right? Like everyone, like, I think people think it's easy. Like making content yeah. like not, not super easy. <laughs> so I've never been a quitter my whole life. And I am very prideful. I'm I'm very aware of how people see me. I don't like live and die by my perception, but I don't ever want to be labeled a quitter because it would bother me more internally than it would bother me how people see it. Like, I just don't ever want that label. So when I start something, I, I do it. I stick with it. And if I'm, if I stop doing it, it's because I'm going to start doing something else that's better, better for me. So Started the pod in 2019. This was around when I wasn't didn't have all the big bylines. Like I was, I was hungry. I was, I, I was just trying to make a name for myself. And I, I really liked podcasts. Like I was listening to the Joe Budden podcast heavy. I was listening to Need yeah. to Know. I was listening to a bunch of different podcasts. And I was like, Yeah, man, I'm a writer. I love writing. A lot of people don't read, but a lot of people listen to podcasts. It's, it's a booming industry. So I was like, All right. Like everything that I tweet about, everything that I, I write about, I'm going to put into an audio and visual format. That's and, very smart. That's so smart. I mean, that's around the time that like Joe Budden's get. I mean, Joe Budden, <laughs> Joe Budden would like, um, no offense, but Joe Rogan's getting like 200 M's, you know? So, yeah, yeah, man. It's, a, it's, I mean, this is pre call her daddy, but post, you know, like, yeah, it's, it's, it's really, it is. That's a, that's a smart way to look at it. Yeah. It was, it was like, I, I just had so many great pods to look at and kind of aspire to be like. So me and uh, Nick, who is my executive producer, he used to co-host with me. He was my co-host for three seasons. Um, Nick kind of helped me script out the whole thing, like our segments, our purpose, how long our episodes are going to be, what we want it to look like visually, who we want to talk to, um, different shit like that. Really trying to appeal to the wide range of music people because they're the most casual fans to the people who work in the industry and and know a lot. And I think we had segments that appeal to all of them. We have, you know, the, the chat segment where we talk about new music. We used to have the half and half segment where we would read like a music business or a music science article and kind of analyze it. We had the employee of the month where we would highlight someone that we felt like deserved, you know, the, the being highlighted. We had the slide deck where we would play, we would pick a song, uh, whether it's like a deep cut on an album an old song, a song from an independent artist, and we would play that. So we put people onto shit. And then we had the board meeting where we talked about <laughs> our, our, our major topic for the week. And then we had the the uh, bulletin board where we would let people know different events, different shows coming up. So we really provided a holistic music experience for people. And because me and my co-host are like best friends, fraternity brothers, we just had a very natural, easy dynamic. So it, it was like having a normal conversation, but we were running a show. And I think having him, who has a TV background, like producing TV shows, he just brought a lot to the show in terms of our structure. And then I, of course, bring the personality and I bring the journalist perspective. And Nick is also an artist. So he would look at things from an artist perspective. I would look from a journalist perspective. So we had a really good dynamic because there are no music podcasts out here that are a journalist and an artist. It's either like all artists or it's all journalists you know or personalities. Like there's no... There no was journalist artists. And the funny thing is the the, the one time there was, it blew up everyday struggle. Right. I mean, you, you can you can call academics as right. somewhat of a journalist, right? So Joe Not Budden really, and but. academics. <laughs> I know. Well, we, hey, well, you know, <laughs> they're 
a lot of a lot of views of, of academics, but you know, the, the one time there was a quasi artist, what well, an artist, Joe, but in like, I mean, internet personality, but you know, somewhat maybe irresponsible journalist, maybe, but a journalist, yeah. Um, you know, it, it took it did really really well. Um, and obviously both those dudes are thriving, you know, now separately. Um, and I guess I like that you guys call it, you know, responsible conversation. So you feel like there are people who have irresponsible conversation. Like, what would you define as like an irresponsible like conversation on music? A hundred percent. I mean, it's people who are just getting on mics, spewing opinions, speculating, making up shit without really knowing shit or just getting up here like, oh, this is my top five. Or this is like you said before, people who talk in extremes. This is fire. This is trash. Like some people who are just hot take artists like, you know, me coming in, these artists that I write about, I have to research them. So I'm 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 going through, you know, their Wikipedias. I'm watching their interviews. I'm 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 paying attention to their tweets. I'm paying attention to everything about these artists. Like I feel like I'm I'm connecting with them on a on a really deep, almost weird level. And then my my co-host, who is an artist, he makes music. I've been in the studio with him. I see how music is made. It's not what people think it is. It's it's a very it's a very tough process. Like when, when you get in a studio and you see the creation of something, you appreciate music so much more, and you you assess it differently because you know that the, that the engineer plays a part, the producer plays a part. If there are writers in the room, they play a part. If there are live instrumentalists, like there, there's so many components to it. And so we really try to bring everything into that. And we also just don't talk about first week sales. Like we, you know, we really get into the nitty gritty and like, of course, everything beyond sales is subjective. There's no closure or finality to it, but it's just the way that you communicate. And I think that we were really informed people who like cared to seek out information rather than just making shit up and calling shit fire or trash, like actual, actually having informative, insightful conversations. Yeah, no, it's funny. I, I respect that. I feel like I always like that little, that t- tagline because I do think that there are people, especially when they start trying to delve into like news and politics, and they just say stuff that's just like blatantly wrong. And it's like, did you yeah. fact check? Like, I'm not going to you know, name names, but, um, you know, well, not, I mean, there, there are times like I like the Joe Biden podcast, but there are times like, you know, you have, your, they're almost like boomers, right? So it's like there's certain mm. things they'll say. It's like, no, that's that's not true. You know, yeah. or, I mean, even a little bit new warrior and like, no hate, but sometimes it's like, oh, like you should have, you know, like, like I try to like, now that I'm, I'm in that position, I try to fact check live. Like if I have a guest say something, yes. I'll like, I, I can just Google it. Like I, I'm doing this on my computer. I mean, I guess it's different because yeah. they're, I guess it's different because I'm doing it remote. So they can't just sit there and be on their phones during the show. But I like, I'll fact check stuff. I've had, cause I had a George Sheedy come on. Actually, he said something I wonder if you would have a response to. So I had, you know, he's been the guy who's been breaking a lot of the YSL Rico stuff and been on top of it. And it's funny. He said that he's not a music, he said, he said, he said, I'm not a music journalist. He's like, I'm not even a crime journalist. I'm a, po- I'm a policy journalist. He said basically like the people who should be doing this reporting our vibe and um you know like the sort like basically music publications and he, he, he said that the reason they weren't he believes is because of access journalism where it feels like hey like these publications they need to be able to get an interview with little baby and little baby's <laughs> not going to give them that interview if they if he feels like these people are looking into my p- potential mm. criminal you know which I, cause he did make a good point i was like wait like why is this i'm not gonna say random but why is this dude from because the reporting is there right like all the like he yeah. i remember i was asking like go oh, how did you you know, and I think that'll be my second episode. Um, I'm like playing around with the order, but the you know, I asked like, how did you kind of put this together? He said, I just read the indictments. Like, if you start reading these <laughs> indictments, like you can start to see. And I remember like one of our first conversations when we connected, I was like, yo, like hip. I was telling you, yo, hip hop in the streets are very connected. Like, and I think very. it's it's sad to say because I think that was maybe like around a year ago ish, and now like we've lost all these even more people. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, unfortunately, you know, PMB takeoff, um, uh, Jada Young and Dolph. Trouble was, yeah. No, I think we, I think when we had like, I can't tell, I can't remember if we had that conversation about Dolph or about somebody. We did. Somebody, we did. Yeah, yeah, or, yeah, yeah I think it, about it was about Dolph. Dolph. And so yeah. I think, you know, like, um, in, in, in that time, you know, like you said, those, the, the people we already named. And then, um, I mean, Trouble was more of like a fluky thing, not really like, oh, like in the streets. But, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, I think that it is interesting that he's basically like, yeah he, he said he wishes he could clone himself because he actually doesn't really want to be the one doing the, the reporting and all this stuff <laughs> yeah. um but like do you is that a thing that like do you think there's truth to that like as far as like oh like they like these places aren't going to report on like you know who who's the next rico or who's tied to the streets because they mm-hmm. need those people for interviews i think there are definitely some publications like that i, I will say for myself and my team we are not like that we've been covering all of the young thug gunna stuff we have covered We've covered everything legal like that's happened over the last however long. And even before I was there, they were doing that just because we are an authoritative voice in the culture and we can't cheat the culture by not covering these important things. Um, And it's it's also public information. So, like, even if we don't do it, people are going to find out one way or another. But there's never been a time where. I thought something should be covered and I've been told, Oh no, we can't do that. Cause we want to talk to that person. Like if, if that person really doesn't want to do an interview with us because we covered some shit that they may or may not have done, you know, legally, then that's on them. Like, well, we're not going to lose from that. We're, we're vibe magazine, <laughs> but I do think there are publications that, that avoid negative coverage of artists for the sake of, you know, staying on their good sides, which, which sucks, but you know, people move how they move. Yeah, I feel it. So, I mean, what are you excited about that you're working on now? Like, I mean, so first of all, you, I mean, Chance, that's dope. Like, how, yeah, how did the Chance and Dame Dash thing come around? Yeah, uh, so the the Dame thing was presented to me by by some of my bosses, um, and then Chance was also presented to me. So I've I, I've made one interview happen myself. The other two that they've given to me, but um, Dame was cool. Dame's funny as hell. Very very passionate dude. The the man can talk. Um, but it was it it, it was. It was enjoyable. It was a really entertaining conversation. And Chance is really nice. Like, people have said that before, but he's just a a genuinely nice guy. Like, I start all my interviews asking people how they're doing. And he asked me back because sometimes I don't don't get that. Like, some people are pleasantly surprised when I ask them how they're doing. And he asked me how I was doing. And, like, I sneeze. And, like, he said, bless you. Like, he stopped what he was saying to say, like, small shit like that. But it matters because these people – sometimes think they're above pleasantries and yeah, chance was cool. And like, I really, I really admired how he views the critique that he gets, you know, on his music. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's fun to make fun of chance. It's been fun to make fun of chance since 2019 and chance acknowledges that, but he's well, was, like, was 2019 the big day. Yeah. Cause that was when, it, that was when people turned on him. Yeah. And I mean, I get it. I, I didn't think it was a great album. Um, yeah. There are a couple but, um, of decent songs on there, but yeah, as a whole, a I mean, they're like, there are a couple that I really, really liked. I can't yeah. remember. The, well, I can look it up, but there are a couple that I liked, but otherwise like, yeah, it was a little bit, it's crazy. Cause there was a time in my life when I really thought like, I think it was around the time of, well, obviously the time of acid rap. But I was like, Oh, like this guy's going to be, I was like, this, this, he might be coming for Drake's spot. Like as far as like Bro. a relatable rapper, <laughs> like, I really thought, um, you know, I really felt like, okay, like he's, he's like, I mean, acid rap is amazing. Like, it's like one of those defining projects of that decade, bro. In 2016, when Chance dropped Coloring Book, people were saying it was a big four: Drake, Kendrick, Cole, and Chance. That that was a thing that people said. And at the time, and I think I, I was a bit more uh, quick to kind of 
jump on these these trains and rather than we're waiting and seeing. So I was like, oh, yeah, Chance is here. Like Acid Rap, Coloring Book, like Chance is definitely one of the big four. But when you think about it, by 2016, Drake had given us views. What a time to be alive. If you're reading this, it's too late. Uh, oh, well, was the same. Take care. Yeah. Cole had given us 2014 Forest Hills Drive, fucking uh, Born Sinner, um, the his uh, sideline story, Friday Night Lights, the come up. Kendrick had given us Untitled Unmastered, um, To Pimp a Butterfly, Section 80, uh, motherfucking um, Good Kid, Mad City. Like, they had in, had more time in the game. Chance really had just 10-day acid rap and the coloring book. Yeah. And so he, he kind of needed a bit more before we gave him that platform. And then when he takes three years to drop his next album, and it's the big day, and it's it's what it was, it's like – we were a little too quick to give chance yeah, that. Well, we were often too quick. That fourth I'm, seed. Yeah, I'm looking at the. I'm looking at the track list. I feel like sun sun come down is the one I'm thinking of that I really liked. But other than that, I can't really think. I like there's two. I feel like there's two two songs on here that I like. And I think I know sun come down is one of them, but I can't even remember what the other one would be. But like, yeah, I, mean, I think it just shows you like when you start making those comparisons. Of like, like we have to really appreciate what Cole. Uh, Kendrick and Drake are doing, and even and also I'll, I'll throw Future in there. Um, I, I'm oh, not even gonna say I'll, Future, I'll throw Future in there. Future belongs in there, but like Future is the is the fourth seed. Like, yeah, like I, th- I, I think by now it shouldn't be a conversation. There's some people who will say we're leaving we're le- leaving off Nikki. I'm, I'm gonna throw like I, she's not. I'm not a big. I'm not the biggest. Like I don't really listen to Nikki like that. Like not no hate. Like I just it's never been my like big part of my listening experience. But I think yeah, I think that like it just shows you like how hard it is. It's like. To, to stay relevant for, to stay that hot for that long is very very difficult and like we were like but like i remember i remember being like yo like i think it was 2012 when was it 2012 i think when um acid rap dropped and it was like so like it was just such it was so unique and like such something i'd never really heard before yeah and, like the combination like-, like the flows and like even just the topics and like even you know like covering dark sort of things uh like the violence in chicago um yeah like what was that one song um he just had. I mean, there. It's all good. Um, it's like mm-hmm. it, it was such a such a good. Is that one song that had like the part one and part two? Um, I'll I'll remember it. Um, I, I was I was actually pretty late to Chance too. Like I didn't start listening. He came to Cornell in 2015 for Slope Day, and so to prepare wait, for Slope tell Day. Tell people what Slope Day is because I even oh, I know that is. And, Woo, Slope Day. So if you are a Cornell student. Slope day is the day after the final day of classes in the spring semester. They have a concert on campus. They bring in one headliner and two openers. You wake up at 7 a.m. You go you you go eat breakfast somewhere. You start drinking throughout the day. They the slope opens at like. Maybe like 11 a.m. or noon, something like that. You go you go watch the opener. You go watch whatever. There's like vendors on on the slope with you know food and shit you just get super drunk and you go enjoy a concert and then you could go to a party that night and um yeah so chance came to slope day so to prepare for that i started listening to him more and so i listened to like um sunday candy and um what else i'm trying to remember all the other songs but um he he was like a different vibe too because my freshman year we had ludicrous Ludacris was lit for that well, type I'm of environment. I'm so jealous. I'm so I hate I'm, I'm hating on you right now because Harvard we had Yard Fest. We never <laughs> like Harvard was notorious for never really. I think one year they had Wu Tang, which was decent. My senior year we mm-hmm. had um Tyga, which was like a big get for us. Like for us to get Tyga, it was like oh wow. I mean, yeah. and, and, like it's easy to hate on Tyga, but if you think about it, he he's ha- he had like his run. Like he had a lap dance, which was huge. Um, he's had like Tyga certified. To kind of hate on him. 
Yeah, he's like Loki certified. He's, like he, he knows he's how. He's certified. He knows how to make a club banger. He 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 he's he's good at that. He's good at making a club banger, and like he like he knows how to do it. Um, but yeah, we never like, had anyone that good. I oh, think Rack that like City? 2010. Oh, yeah, Rack City, Lap yeah. Dance. yeah. Bro, he was he he was on a run with those mixtapes. I feel like he had a song with Travis Porter too. He did. He um, it was um uh okay now ladies yeah I, hey I think a hey, ladies a hey, ladies. Yeah, hey, hey, ladies. Yeah. Also, to bring it back to Chance, I mean, so I'm thinking, like, like let's, because I, I really do think Acid Rap is one of those, like, there's certain albums that, like, I think about, like, I'm not going to say Acid Rap is, is on this level, like, Supreme Clientele. I'm a big, like, Ghostface fan. Like, I think Supreme Clientele is, like, I feel like Supreme Clientele alone almost puts Ghostface in my top 10. Like, it's such a surrealist, like, like just the, like, you know, just some of the bars, like, booby trap, Acid, like, he's just, he's just saying these crazy things, yeah. you know, and I feel like, in a different way, um, in a different way, acid rap basically it's like acid rap is unlike anything I'd really heard before, especially around that time. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean the the sound the sound was changing, and Chance has always been really unique with with his sound. Like the, yeah. you really can't compare anyone to Chance, and and not that he's like one of one, and like he's like a goat, but one of one of one, and just like his approach to music. And it's, well, it's it's definitely it's it's definitely Kanye like, but it's different too. Well, okay, I also think, and I think this is, and we have to, we'll get into Drake in a second, but I think that like one, so I think the one reason people always put Kendrick above Drake, and also one reason that like people will often be hesitant to talk about Drake in a top five type of manner, like one is obviously the whole Quentin Miller thing, which I know like I love Drake, we we you know I, we're not like cool cool, but you know we have a obviously a small relationship, and like. So there's that, but I think the other reason is that like he doesn't really rap about like conscious stuff, right? Like I think like hip hop has always been tied a little bit with like the struggle and politics and stuff like that. You know, that's one mm-hmm. of the reasons Tupac is so heralded, and like Chance, yeah. you know, with paranoia, like he really captures that like Chicago, like paranoia is a song that I don't know that anyone else could have done. Like he really just captures yeah. like. You know, I want to, you know, I've been riding around with my blood on my lips with the sun in my eyes, my gun on my head, paranoia in my mind, got my mind on the fritz, but a lot of niggas dying, so, so my nine with the shits. Like, he's like, they American kids, they murder kids here. Why do you think they don't talk about it? They deserve it. Like, he's really like, where the fuck is Matt Lauer at? Somebody get Katie Couric in here. Like, that's like, that's incredible. That's like, and I think that like, being able to like, on the one hand, have kind of like fun, just whatever type of fun rap, but then also sit mm-hmm. and talk about people who are dying in Chicago um and then even just the surrealistic like uh of um acid rain right like kicked off my shoes tripped ass in the rain where my jacket is a cape my umbrella is a cane the richest man rocks the snatches le- necklace spinal suspicions and backless dresses like it's just like he's you know actually this song in particular kind of remind gives me that like ghost face ki- ghost face sort of feel where it's just like um you know i mean this is a ghost face bar scooby snack jurassic plastic gas booby trap like it's just like Ghostface <laughs> just saying crazy, like crazy stuff. Yeah. It, but it, it makes sense somehow. That's a Ghostface killing Riza on Nutmeg. But yeah, I think that like Chance was making like conscious rap, but also just like fun rap. And then yeah, I don't know, like it was like acid rap really made me feel like, oh, this guy is like like there was a period where I really thought like he like, he was different. I mean, I think he's still, you know, he's yeah. still him. But um sure. yeah, it's it's like I think, you know, it's tough that like that that the big day was such a ding on him, but I also, oh, oh, actually, I guess acid rap was 2013. I don't know why I thought it was 2013. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. But, um, you know, I think that it, it just makes me respect even more what, uh, Drake Cole can, it's hard to stay hot, like in this game for very long. Like, the, like 
I'm not hating on Lil Pump because Lil Pump is Lil Pump is more successful than 99.9% of people who have ever made music. Just off the strength of yeah, but that's just how hard music is, right? So to to have the type of runs that that Drake and Cole and Kendrick and Future have had is insane, right? It's it's very you know especially especially to successfully transition into the streaming era because we saw some people rise and some people kind of just plateau or get less relevant like Wale probably felt bigger in the blog era than he did than he does in the streaming era and I'm 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 a huge Wale fan that's not to disrespect him yeah I mean Wale was bigger than Drake at one point right like Wale was he was I say like oh nine probably like around like yeah I mean I think that he because I remember he had a tweet once that was like yo Johnny Manziel used to be cool, like want to hang out with me. But then we started hanging out with Drake. He stopped, te- like he stopped, he stopped messing with me. <laughs> like, you know, I think, <laughs> you know, well, okay, this is a good transition. I want to, as we, I want to get into wrestling real quick. Cause I know you're really big into wrestling. Like I had a guy on yeah. here who's a really big, um, he writes a lot of, he writes a lot about wrestling. He writes a lot of uh, wrestling. His name is Oliver Lee Bateman. Bateman. He sort of like has bylines, like kind of like literally everywhere. Like name it. And he has bylines there. Yeah. One of his things is wrestling. And so like, I was actually a huge wrestling fan. I think, I don't know what it is. Like I feel like a lot of Africans, like, you know, you talk, you talk about Max. So, I don't know what it is. I think everyone kind of in my kind of era generation is, and like I grew up, I lived in Nigeria, so I was in Nigeria since so I was six. Like I, I watched wrestling. I remember I was arguing with Oliver. I was like, "Yo, my top five was uh, not in order, but like Bret Hart, Stone Cold, um, The Undertaker, um, <sighs> Shawn Michaels, and I guess you have to say The Rock." But I think I had somebody else mm-hmm. at the time. I guess you, I feel like you have to say The Rock. But it's it's hard to not put Hulk Hogan up there too. But that, oh, did I not say? Oh, did I leave out Hulk Hogan? Okay. That, oh yeah, yeah, Hulk. Maybe. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's why I put out. In, yeah, because I remember I left out the Rock. It, my my personal top five. Because like I was always like I never really connected with the Rock the way I feel like I connected emotionally with like. Mm. I mean, Stone Cold for sure. Stone Cold. That's like a terrified me as a kid. Because I don't know about you, but I like <laughs> I was. I, I mean, once I found out it was like me finding out wrestling was fake was like my own nine eleven. It was like what like. Santa Claus was for people like I I held on to that and once I found out I never really went back like I believed every storyline I believed that Ken and Undertaker were brothers and that like Undertaker was undead that Paul Bearer was like a maniacal sort of you know I believed that like all the undead stuff when Undertaker was you know he'd roll his eyes back and like I thought yes Undertaker's like a a demon and he's his and Kane's his long lost brother and like when people got arrested on, you know, when, when Vince McMahon and somebody would get arrested, I thought they were really getting arrested. <laughs> like, Bro, I, so. I believed everything. I was so emotionally invested in it. Like when my favorite wrestler would get a title match and they would lose by disqualification, I would be like, what the fuck? Not knowing that they're trying to save their win for a big show. Like not thinking of the business of it. I'm thinking about the fact I want this nigga to win and he lost. What the fuck? Like, what, like why yeah. would this person get involved and screw my guy? I want to see my guy win. And it's funny because thinking about it now, now that I am a I do a wrestling podcast and I'm connected with people who are close to WWE and, and they find shit out. Like I'm I typically know what's going to happen. And it just this is just because like I, I have a mind for the business now, but I also literally find shit out about the show. And I remember being genuinely surprised by shit as a kid. And those moments are just incredible. And now I see them coming and I kind of hate how all these dirt sheets just love spoiling shit because it takes away the the element of genuine surprise at a cool moment. Yeah, like, I-, I knew I knew Cody Rhodes was going to be at WrestleMania this year. Like I, I knew when certain people are coming back and when they come back and it's just like, 
it's cool to be ahead of the the, the curve, but I also want to be entertained and I yeah. want to be surprised by shit. No, I mean, I used so, to watch wrestling as a you know, I was not like I said, I used to watch wrestling as a little six year old, five six year old in Nigeria, and just like and like my my Muslim America still watched it. But yeah, I mean, I think when I found out, like I had an older cousin, I have an older cousin who's like two years older than me. So I feel like maybe in that area, maybe I'm, I'm like 11, he's 13, or I'm 12, he's 14. Like, I think he found out it was fake first, but I was still, I was like, no, like it's not. Like I just held on. I was like, no. And I had more of my like, really, really close friend. He's one year older than me. But I think it was really my cousin who found out. And I was like, no, like it's not, like it's not. And when I, when I had to let go, I'm like, it is. I just never went back. But yeah, so my, my top five, you're right. So I, I did. So my top five was Bret Hart. I don't know what it is about Bret Hart, but I always just, I just, I just love Bret Hart, bro. I was just like, yo, he's just dope. Um, he's Bret talented. Hart, um, Stone Cold, who I invited to Harvard, who came, which was dope when I was in That's college. That's hard. Um, Stone Cold, um, Hulk Hogan, because I mean, you you can't leave off Hulk Hogan. He's he's Hulk Hogan. Um, I think I just feel Shawn Michaels is like I don't know. I think Shawn Michaels just is kind of that dude. And Stone Cold, like I think I, I think Stone Cold might be really number one, honestly. Um, yeah, but, but I then, mean. The person I Shawn Michaels like, is just Shawn Michaels is one of the greatest performers, wrestlers, talkers, all that shit. He's he's he, he's a total package. Like anyone who says Shawn is their goat, I'm I'm not mad at it. Yeah, I mean, but all, I, feel, I feel like you can't leave off The Rock because, but I also feel like The Rock is also because like he be, who he became after, right? It's like yeah. he became this gigantic. You know, people talk about him running for president, but for whatever mm-hmm. reason, I mean, the people's elbow was dope, but The Rock just never like I don't know like. When the when Bret Hart wrestled, I felt it. You know what I mean? Like so when Stone Cold mm-hmm. wrestled, I really felt it. I'm, I'm like really hanging on. The Rock, for whatever reason, I don't know. It just never really resonated. Although I, I got to meet him once because a friend of mine was um. So I'm I'm in an episode of Ballers because a friend of mine was like was on the show. I was like, hey, come to set, and like I was like, I was like, oh yeah, I want to come to set. And then I was at, on set, and they were filming a scene, and then the producer, the writer, was like, hey, like you stick around, like I want I want you in the scene, like we need people. You know, it's like a dinner party scene. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, do I really want to do this? Like. I was like, it would be dope, but I'm like, I know what filming entails. Even if you're just a background extra, like you have to be there, you know, you have to do, it's like a lot of takes and yeah, I ended up doing it. And I got to, you know, got to meet him, got to, you know, talk a little bit, took a couple pictures, yeah. but yeah, I mean, I, the, the rock just never, like, I was never like the biggest, I was always an undertaker, stone cold, Bret Hart person. Yeah. But what about you? The undertaker is my favorite of all time. Um, I, I loved him as the American badass. And then when he, when he quote unquote died and then came back as, as, as the dead man with the trench coat and the hat, that was just the coolest shit for me. Cause again, I, I was born in 95. I started watching wrestling in 2002. So I, I didn't see nineties undertaker. So like I saw him as the guy who rode the motorcycle and then he died and they came back as, as the dead man. And I was like, holy fucking uh, shit. This, nah, this guy I'll tell is cool. you. So I, I loved. I used to be terrible. I couldn't listen. I, I couldn't watch his intro. Like I literally, like I, my, my in Nigeria. No, I'm, I'm dead. Like when I heard that that bell, I would go sprinting out of the room. Like I, like I, I was, I was scared of him. I was like genuinely scared of him. But I was like, mm-hmm. I was like a fan. Yeah. I remember, like I, my, you know, in Nigeria, like a lot of times, family. I'm, I'm sure Haiti might be similar. Like families will live together almost, like in like a compound yep. type of thing where it's like yep. there's a front house and a back house and an upstairs house, almost like apartments. And um, you know, my my uncle lived upstairs, and we, would, me and my cousin would watch wrestling up there. I remember when Undertaker would come out, I would like leave the room. I would like go, go I would go outside and go on the staircase and wait until his intro. But I'm telling you, the dead man, I don't I didn't love the badass. Like because it was too like I thought of him was like the whole the like you know, the ministry of darkness with like I think it was mm. Edge and Christian and like gang yeah. gangrel and like like I, I thought of the Undertaker as that like sort of dark, demonic, you know, Paul Bearer, buried alive, you know, Cain, mm. fire, the, the you know, these brothers, like the American badass stuff made him too human to me. It was like, I don't like, I, I like, I see him as like a demonic sort of under, like, 
like almost like a vampire almost. You no, know, I mean not like a vampire, but you know, like like a, like a like not really human, like half dead, right, undead. Yeah. I think the American Badass thing. He's like a, he's like a a dude who's like a hell's angel, basically. You know, it's like he's like <laughs> it made him too yeah. human for me. But I, I love the like the you know when he saves Stephanie McMahon from my or no no we like capture Stephanie McMahon and I think like Stone Cold mm-hmm. saves her. Mm-hmm. Um, and also the crazy. I mean, you missed the area a little bit when they were they would do a lot. You know, Lita Sable. Yeah. They would yeah. do wild, oh, even China, but really Sable and uh, Trish Stratus, like they would, they would get away with a lot. I'm sure you've seen the clips. Like, yeah, <laughs> no, I've, I've 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 definitely gone back and watched because people look back at that era and with rose colored glasses and say it's the best era. I, I I think right now is the best wrestling has ever been. Um, but I've definitely gone back and watched some of that stuff, so I've I, I've seen how wild it is. Um, but yeah, I would say, and this is my objective top five, like who I just think are the top five people ever. Undertaker's up there. Stone Cold is up there. The Rock is up there. I honestly have to put John Cena up there. Um, mm. the, 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 the way he's, he's, he's one of the most winningest champions ever. He's tied with Ric Flair for, you know, title reigns, world title reigns. He's just an ambassador for it. He's done the most make-a-wish uh, wishes mm. ever, which is just wow. insane. Like, like a wrestler has done the most make-a-wish wishes for kids, which is crazy. Talented in ring, amazing on the mic charismatic he never really had to change his character like he stayed he he went from a white rapper to like a fucking soldier type dude like acting like he was a a a lieutenant or something would still rap sometimes here and there he would get cool lines off but he was able to stay the same for so long and still be that guy and my last one i think just for like pop culture recognition i have to go hulk hogan obviously now he's been revealed as a racist fucker so fuck terry but like when when hulk was you know in his prime he's he's one of the like you think of wwe he, he's one of the first names you think of um so i i have to i have to put hulk hogan up there but like roman reigns is getting to that point where like he like you might have to add a spot on the five headed Mount Rushmore for him. You might have to take somebody out and put Roman there because he's just, he's, he, he's doing the damn thing. Yeah. I'm I'm like a wrestling boomer. Like I don't know really anyone beyond like who didn't wrestle before, like before Oh four, probably like I like the rock right. was kind of like, I, told, like, I, told, I swear like when I found out it was like, it just, it shattered me almost. Like I was like, yo, I can't like, I'm like, wait, really? Like I was so invested in it. Um, it's tough. Yeah, who's like your next five? Like, I, I mean, I, I don't know who my next. Five. I think like I love this is my, my next five, but I'll say like people who I really liked. I loved NWO, like Kevin Nash, Scott Hall. Mm-hmm. Like, love, I mean, when I think this was probably before your time, but when Kevin, when when Hulk Hogan did the turn, like when he joined NWO, I was like that was yeah. a moment. Like, it's funny because I don't have a lot of like you know you don't remember a lot from like your you know when you're five, six, seven years old, but like I distinctly remember they're like a couple of my earliest memories. Actually, I realized when I was talking to this other dude are wrestling. Like one when when um. Goldberg went to spear. I think Goldberg went to spear Bret Hart, and Bret Hart mm-hmm. actually was wearing a shield under, like, whatever. And Goldberg, like, passed out. And then yeah. the turn when Hulk Hogan, like, went heel, um, you know, that's one of my earliest, you know, memories. And then mm-hmm. I guess, like, Kevin Nash, Scott Hall, I guess, yeah, Ric Flair, mm-hmm. The Rock, if he's not in my top five. And then I don't know who, yeah. you know, I don't know, number five. You know, there's so many wrestlers. Yeah, I probably have, like, Triple H there. Um, he's he's been relevant in so many different eras. Um, He's, he puts together a great story, a great match. Randy Orton too. 
Um, it's crazy. Like when I first started watching wrestling, he, he won the title and he was the youngest world champion in like 2004. And he's still, he's still wrestling now. He's hurt right now. Hope he comes back. But like, he's been doing this for a while and he's, he's still that guy. Um, Seth Rollins, uh, he's, he's someone who's more recent. He started in like 2012 in WWE, but, uh, he's, he's amazing, uh, amazing storyteller, amazing wrestler has been able to be amazing in multiple different characters. Um, CM Punk when he was around, he's, he's, he's kind of a lame, lame nigga now, but like the era he, he was in, he was, he, he was great. He, he, he was really great. He was one of my favorite wrestlers. And I guess I'd probably have to push on Michaels there too. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. It's sad. So I mean, I, I remember every time I like look up wrestlers, like they're always dead. I remember like the, the dude who I was talking to, he writes a lot of obituaries. And I remember I was because he he actually writes all of, uh, he writes all the wrestling stuff for the Ringer. I remember mm-hmm. him saying that like, oh, like um, you know, I was telling, I was talking about how like wrestlers, you know, they always end up Google them and they're dead. And he's like, oh yeah, like um, Ric Flair. He's like, yeah, when Ric, when Ric Flair dies, like he was like, Bill Bill will probably take that one, like Bill Simmons, you know, like mm-hmm. he's like, I probably won't get that one. But he's just talking so casually about it because he he makes like a decent amount of money. I mean, he he has bylines pretty much everywhere on everything, yeah. like from Teen Vogue, Men's Health, conservative stuff, liberal stuff, and um. He was just like he just talked so casually about it, like yeah, so you know, like they, you know, like who's got dibs on who's obituary? And it's like it's sad that like I mean, it's obviously it's a job, but I'm like, damn, it's sad that it's like that's how it is with wrestlers. Like they're all just you know. Um, yeah, I mean that's the thing about getting older. I see it in music. I see it in sports. Like people who I rem- who I watched wrestle or watched play or watched coach or you know I was alive when they were in their prime rapping. Like these people are dying now. Like DMX was crazy to when when he passed. That that was a crazy thing to live through and like just process because i remember you know being a kid listening to you know fucking party up and where, where the hood at and all that oh yeah um, where the hood at yeah like well, it's, it's a wild experience that's the thing so this actually is good for my uh, next question i had because i feel like i've seen some of your like sometimes i feel like because you talk about like hulk hogan still in your top five even though he's you know has those issues and then um um dmx like i feel like i feel like you sometimes been a little bit more of the person who's like doesn't separate the art from the artist, right? Like, I feel like you don't really like Kodak so much. Um, who else? I mean, so with Kodak, yes, it's it's the things he's done. But I've also just never, until recently, I was never really big on his music. Like, recent stuff I've listened to, I've I've I've, I've actually really liked. You got to pee. But, like, his early stuff, I was never that big on. And I, I would listen to his albums. Like, I, I would play them. I, I give everything a chance. But it just never really connected with me until maybe like a year ago year or two ago yeah i'm i i, I love like i it's a, it, I don't know, it takes a little bit for kodak to hit you sometimes but like mm-hmm. also you're not from the south like i'm from the south or i grew up in the south i think that like mm-hmm. like there are parts of kodak that remind me of a, i guess it's blasphemy but like there are parts of kodak that remind me of a young wayne like like just his his cadences I've, I've and the, and the pockets that he catches and like you see that like like kodak got a lot of praise from drake like i don't know if you remember when he dropped that really? uh if i'm lying i'm dying he, he had all these text messages from drake being like yo like how are you like these pockets that you're like, you know, just praise. And then obviously like yeah. Kendrick had him all over Mr. Morale and the big step, which was like what Kendrick's first album. What? Like, was it five years? I think five years. Yeah. Um, And so I think that like to get respect from both of the ghosts, I don't know. I'm, I'm, a, I'm not going to appreciate it, but I feel like I'm a very mm-hmm. like separate. Cause it's like, it, it's always black artists that kind of get that sort of like, I remember when, um, when Spotify did that thing, they were like, okay, we're going to take off our kill and XXS 10 cents. And this is an early moment where Kendrick, I feel like people forget this almost, but like Kendrick and TDE, they were like, yo, like, we're like, so what about all these white dudes? Like, what about all these white rock stars that in the 70s and 80s, they were fucking kids? Like, these, mm-hmm. the groupies, like, I mean, and to be fair, like, look, it was 
I don't know how IDs were back then and like, you know, society was maybe different, but like a lot of these rock stars were either documented or undocumented, like messing with like 14, thir- like 13, 14, 15 year olds, like after yeah. the shows. And then even, and that's just the stuff, rumors, but yeah, like stuff that's actually known, like people who married, like you, know, you start digging, I mean, Elvis Presley married with like his like, well, actually fact checks this, like, uh, you know, a, anyway, whatever. I just think that like yeah. it becomes, Actually, I also think we have to realize like horrible people can do great things. Like horrible people can make great yeah. art, and it's like cause I think sometimes yeah, people yeah, like yeah. when somebody bad does something, they're like you know he actually was like people say it was like J.K. Rowling, like oh Harry Potter really wasn't that good because it's like now they feel like she's <laughs> you know it's like oh Harry Potter was really good. <laughs> like I uh, read that shit. That yeah. was very, it was excellent. Um, yeah, yeah I don't know. like I don't that's know. that that's how I feel. And th- to, to clarify this before I get into this point, whoever's listening, I am not a Tory Lanez defender, apologist, none of that shit. Like I'm. I haven't listened to his music since 2020, just because I'm I'm not going to do it until we know what's going on with the case. That that's just me personally. But if you listen, that's fine. All that to say, when the news came out about what happened with Meg, and people were like, "Chicks tape wasn't even that good." I was like, "You're chill, like relax, like just, just, just chicks tapes are good. You can you can dislike Tory right now." And still acknowledge that he's made some good projects in the past, and and yeah. that that's the only thing I say. I don't. I don't die on the hill for him now. I don't promote his music. I, I don't. I don't do none of that shit until we figure out what's going on. But like, yeah, no, it, I'm, I'm. I'm not gonna sit here and cap and be like, yo, he's never made good music because that's just. Yeah, it's one of those conversations. I feel like we're always. It, I, I don't. Know, I think people are a little bit like, um, like evolving a little bit. I, I feel like 2020 was kind of the peak of like quote unquote like whatever you want to call it cancel culture or whatever. But like 2020 felt like the peak yeah. of it. I think people now are kind of a little bit like, uh, like it's it's complex and you know what. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to do my fact check for okay. <laughs> he uh, he dated Dixie Lock. Elvis probably dated someone named Dixie Lock. I guess they were there. She was 15. He was 20. I mean, look, y'all can Google this. They're like a lot, like a lot of rock stars. If you start doing the like, start looking into it, like a lot of these rock stars in the 70s and like pop these, you know, you have people who and I, and I think that was a. I mean, look, you could say whatever you want, but I think that like, for TDE and Kendrick or whoever, I think it was Kendrick to kind of come was, and say, yeah. yo, like this is like, like sure, existentialion and like. You know, R. Kelly. I mean, R. Kelly. The, the one thing that's not funny, but like, no one ever is like, "Yo, R. Kelly was trash." Like, no, like that's <laughs> the one person people are kind of like they can't, yeah, they can't really lie. Um, but yeah, I yeah. think that you know, I think it's one of those things. Like, cause I, I remember I saw you say that. I was like, oh man, I was like, yo, like that stuff aside, like Kodak, I think was actually pretty fire. Like, um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. I, I, I don't think he's trash. Like, that's not something that I would that I would ever say. Like, there have been songs over the years, Lockjaw, Tunnel Vision, ZZ, a bunch of different songs. Skrilla, Skrilla. Skrilla, oh yeah, yeah, Skrilla's great. Like, there's yeah. stuff of his that I like, so I would never say he's trash. I, he just wasn't like one of my favorite artists. Yeah, um, how do you? Se- so, so I couldn't call myself a fan of his. Right. How, how do you separate? And I wanted to ask this before, but I forgot. But like, being a fan, because like I said, you know, when I started when I first moved to LA, I was around these people who, as a kid in Nigeria, like, yeah, like somebody like Snoop Dogg. Or I was I was never really around Snoop that much. But like somebody like Puffy, like from someone like Diddy to like to go to Diddy's house to. Part, you know be around go, go to diddy's you know that's like being a little kid in nigeria those dudes are like first of all anything america is kind of like well I'm, I'm sure you can relate to a little bit haiti i mean haiti is physically cl- closer to america obviously but yeah. it's still i'm sure like america is like whoa yeah. and so you know how do you separate that um as like the fact because i'm sure like someday like i mean knock on wood someday first of all i'm sure jake will hear this episode in some form but like <laughs> someday you'll probably interview maybe you'll interview him right like how are you gonna keep that journalist goal. hat on it's tough, man. I'm, I mean, it's a balance that I'm still 
kind of figuring out to this day, especially now that I'm at a much bigger place because my, my word really carries weight. Um, but everyone has implicit bias. Everyone is a fan of something. Everyone has favorites. I'm not wrong for that. It's just important when I do my work to be factual, to try to be objective and to communicate in a way where like I'm appreciating something or expressing approval of it without coming off as if like I'm I, I'm only talking about the good things like there's there's multiple songs on every Drake project that I don't like and I have no problem saying that and I think a lot of stands who try to be journalists they only want to talk about the good stuff like I have no problem bringing up the bad side of someone that I really like and acknowledging those things and I think being a fan gives you that level of really paying attention to detail. Like when, when, when these people do these reviews of Drake projects, it really comes off like y'all don't really know him. Well, it's like, also popular to hate him now in a weird way, right? Like that, 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 that Rolling Stone cover, that Rolling Stone thing where I was like, yo, this is just like, it becomes a thing where it's, I mean, it was, it was it's been a thing for the past, I want to say f- probably since 2018 or so. Yeah. Like just online, like as far as like y'all just on Twitter to hate on Drake, but then like mm-hmm. to see it kind of, you start seeing the in pitchfork and a little bit, but like you know, Rolling Stone, like to now, it, it's it's almost like passe. It's all, it's like, but I understand because I think that I, I presume that as a journalist, you want to kind of zig when everyone else is like you want to stand out, right? If everyone's saying they love this thing, you'll probably it, it pays to probably zag and say you don't like it, right? And yeah, this like like this like in the popular, you know, there's a reason that Skip Bayless has a platform. I'm not I'm not a Skip Bayless hater. Like, yo, go and nobody's made more money off LeBron James. <laughs> and by his agent and Skip Bayless, you know yeah. what I mean. And so I think uh, that, like, hey, it's it's a, it's a smart move. But I think that, yeah, just like there's a there's a there's a cottage industry of like hating a popular thing. And so I think that happens yeah. with Drake a, a good amount. But it's yeah. not like you're you're a proper journalist and you you're not um you know you haven't susceptible you're not susceptible to that yet. Yeah, I try to be, and I think anyone who knows me or follows me can tell I am a huge Drake fan. That nigga is clearly my favorite artist ever, but. I just really try to show that I'm I'm developing an understanding for his music and what he's trying to convey and the, and the person that he is. And I also don't box him in. I think a lot of people and you, you kind of touched on this earlier is they don't want to give him credit because he's not the standard rapper. Like he doesn't fit the rapper mold that we've created for someone like gr- coming up in the streets and conscious content shit like that. Like he's 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 doing shit differently and it's polarizing to, like you said, zig when everyone else is zagging. But in terms of rapping and being a, a hip hop artist, he's talented and he checks all those boxes. So I don't try to hold him to some standard that he's clearly not ever going to try to meet. Like he he doesn't want to make a concept album that like, he, and he's made quote unquote concept albums before, but not like one of these crazy storytelling to pimp yeah, a butterfly not, not, type not shit. Yeah, not good kid Mad City. Well yeah, for, like yeah. I mean I he's think not, that, he's not doing that and people try to slight him because he doesn't, but it's like it's just like I I, I assess what I'm given. I, I I don't assess something based off of what I think it should be or what I want it to be. I literally grade the albums based off of the music that's given to me. And a lot of people grade it based off of what it isn't, which is just really weird to me. Yeah, just like personal animus. Or like, there's, there's certain people. There's a dude at Complex for a while who I think just just really didn't like Drake. Like, I think it's something something Diaz. Uh, I can't remember his like yep. Angel or yeah. Alex Diaz. Like, it's Angel. Angel. It's like, Angel. We all, yeah. I, like, 
I'm sure he'll probably hear this because people often, people in media often hear things that people say about them. And I'm not like hating yeah. on him, but it was just like, it was just a thing where it was like, you, this is like a clearly a personal thing that you have. Very like, this, this is just like, you just don't like this person. Mm-hmm. Um, like, it's not about the music at that point. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's good the, the, to not, like, I think what, to, to not be a fan is like to separate that. Because I think that once, the only person who's ever really been able to be a fan and still be effective is really like academics. Like, he, like he's just <laughs> like, he wears it on his sleeve, he's drinking yeah. the Henny. But for mm-hmm. the most part, like being a fan just kind of puts you in a box where it's like, okay, the, the artist just sees you. It's like, okay, this person's a fan. I really yeah. like. I, I think I think about like one like Ernest Baker, like when he was coming out. I don't know if you know, he was like a you know music journalist, like blogging, yeah, yeah. and like he was able. I remember like Drake was like like walking like I'm Ernest Baker. Like he actually titled he he was the one who came up with the title "What a Time to Be Alive." Um, like he sent it to Drake in a text message. And it was like, like even like I don't know, uh, we we have a I think a mutual friend Eddie uh, Eddie Gonzalez who like works with uh who has a podcast called the Etcetera's with K, with KD and like Eddie was just like. A, a LeBron fan on Twitter talking trash, talking trash about KD, and KD found him on a burner, and they just started talking back and forth. And now he's like, you know, like there's there's a lot of benefit in just treating people like people. You know, what I mean, not yeah. being uh, like yes. when you put someone on a pedestal, it kind of limits you're distancing yourself from them. Um, yeah. So, I, you know, as you, not that I'm in the position to be dispensing advice, but I feel like as you move in the industry, I think not. Like not being a fan, not not going out of your way to do it. Like I think there are people who will kind of go out of their way to be like, oh, like what's your name? It's like okay, but like like if you meet somebody, and you're like you almost try to like send them a little bit, you know, not that, yeah. but yeah. Um, I think it's just like treating people. I do think that like there's like things are closer now where like podcasters, you know, like academics and like in Twenty One Savage can sit down, not as peers, but almost as peers, right? Like it's it's cool, and there's no, yeah. you know, it's not like oh wow, like he's this rapper and I'm this journalist or I'm this podcaster. It's like oh, we're, you know, we're cool, and even yeah. like Rory and Maul, like Rory and Maul, Joe Budden, like it's almost like I, I feel almost like when I was right when I was I almost couldn't compare it to when I was being when I became a writer on Blackish, and I remember thinking like I would get there and it'd be like oh, like you're not allowed to look Tracy Ellis Ross in the face or like. You know, Lawrence Fishburne, like when he walks, you turn the other way because yeah. they're up here and they're and you're, like, they're up here and you're down here. But I remember it was like the opposite almost. Like they kind of put us on a pedestal because I think actors think, oh, like if I'm cool with this writer, he's going to give me more lines. Like he's going to. Yeah. So I think realizing, hey, like I belong here, right? I don't have to, like, you know, knock on with that day that you sit in a car. I mean, you've already sat, sat, sat with or virtually at least with legends like Jermaine Dupree. Yeah. Um, and even I'll say Chance the Rapper's a legend. He's like a Chicago legend. Um, mm-hmm. Not to, I mean, that sounds like an insult now, but you know, he, he's, uh, you know, um, <laughs> but I think that, you know, like to, to just be like, okay, like you're a person, I'm a person. And like, you know, I am, I'm rambling now, but okay. So let's, let's, so you're, 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 um, I feel like we're similar to that. Like, I feel like Drake was our soundtrack, right? Like, I think that I like, like I went to high school in early college in that, like my, my, like my, like the end of high school for me is so far gone. And then the beginning of the end of the, like the end of college in like the beginning of my time in the working world is like view no not not views guy i'm not that old i'm not that young um is um nothing was the same right so it's like mm-hmm. being bookended like i think you know and that's what i think what drake says he likes to do is make basically like live soundtracks right like, like the car the music that you're, that you're listening to on the drive home so like what was that yeah. for you like what was like you know yeah. it's like what what albums do you associate with moments i think that's what's so beautiful and i think that, you know when people always talk about they miss the old drake it's like no you really just missed that moment right so he's like oh yeah. take care it came out when I was, you know, living in that dorm and I was dating that girl, mm-hmm. we were going through that and I listened to Marvin's room that night because we were going through this, you know, like I think that, you know, when we miss artists, we often just really miss moments. Like what were those, like how, how did his music punctuate your life? I remember you said this, uh, more life was kind of like you were going through a, a, a time. 
Yeah, man. Yeah. Um, More Life was my, it was what should have been my senior year of college. I ended up doing an extra semester, so I didn't walk that, uh, that spring semester. But it came out that semester when I was like, when it was sinking in that I wasn't going to be graduating with my friends. And I was just just trying to figure life out, trying to figure out what I wanted to do, where I was going to be, who I was. And Drake was coming off of Views the year prior, which was like one of his most highly critiqued albums, probably since like Thank Me Later. Like Take Care seemed pretty well received. Nothing was the same was pretty well received. Yeah, nothing if was the same was very well. I mean, Take Care and yeah. Nothing was, was the same were very well well received. Yeah. And then like if if you're reading this, it's too late. Took people a little time to get with What a Time to Be Alive seemed pretty popular. But Views was trashed. Like Views was treated crazy in, you know, on the internet and in the music community. And more life just kind of felt like him writing the wrongs, whatever those were, of views and showing people like, regardless of what I say, I'm resilient as fuck. And like, look what I can do. I'm coming back less than a year later with this. And it's and some people still don't get more life and, you know, the, the magic of it. And I encourage them to, you know, to get there. <laughs> but um, yeah, that uh, nothing was the same was my freshman year of college. So like my first semester at Cornell walking to classes, listening to that, listening to come through when I'm having joints come by the dorm room or fucking furthest thing or um, from time too much. Um, I remember I really loved all me at the time with a uh, big Sean and two chains fucking take care was my junior year of high school. Um, I came back from Syracuse summer college though. This, this girl I was really into, she lived in Virginia. I, I lived in Jersey, so I was never going to see her. And so just all, all those sad boy songs, I felt like I, I felt like I really felt those. Um, but yeah, man, like th- Drake really makes like these time markers, these time stamps. Like I, I come through comes on and I I can picture myself walking to my 10, 10, 10, 10 class like fucking passion fruit comes on and I can picture myself in the apartment with my frat brothers you know, having stroll practice or doing whatever. Like I can just picture things, even views, views, honestly, that was my junior year. I was going through a tough time then too. And I can just vividly remember listening to feel no ways after I broke up with my ex at the time. And I was like, like when Drake said, there's more to life than sleeping in and getting high with you. I felt that shit in my soul, (laughs) in my soul. Is there though, is there really more to life than that? I don't don't get high, but um, you know, there is. There absolutely is. And and once you get a taste of it, you're like, man, I was really like not doing shit because this this person just didn't didn't want to do shit either. They didn't want to be shit. So I I really I really felt that. So, yeah, yeah man, no. uh, it's uh, it's just it's crazy. Like how how vividly I can be transported back to these times just after hearing a song. Yeah, he definitely makes these time markers that just like remind you of moments like i think it's funny i remember during that rap radar interview he, like he kind of got offended at i think one of, not elliot but the who's who, give me the other host name b-dot yeah b-dot was like he thinks the ride is drake's greatest greatest song and i remember like <laughs> yeah. agreeing with that but i understand like why drake was like oh like he, did, he didn't he disagree because like actually it's like the ride is from i mean take care is what 20 um 11 11 right november yeah, yeah. it's like 2011 so i think it's like no one wants to be told that their best work was nine years ago right it's like if i told you that exactly. the best article you wrote was something that you wrote you know for that you know hand me the ox um yeah. so i get that but i really did i mean until 
I might now after her loss, I might say middle. No, I'm not gonna say it's middle of the ocean because maybe that's recency <laughs> bias. But I do think. I mean, you could kind of throw other things in there. Maybe 4 p.m. in Calabasas, or I mean, not the best song, but just like rapping. But I think that like uh, the, I, don't, I don't think there's any shame in the ride being your best song because the ride is one. Of the, I think one of the best songs of in rap period. Like just it's very order, good. you know because it's it's like it really like if you think about like putting you in moments like I think what, what Drake's so good at and like. When I do your pods one of these days, we're gonna get more into the bag, and I'll I'll, I'll do the because this is a this is this isn't about me, this is about him. I'll, I'll tell the stories of you know how you know because I met Drake around the time the first time I went to Drake's house was was around when Views dropped, um, mm-hmm. like right around then. So it's just like you know that's a crazy moment, right? Like listen to yeah. listen to your favorite, I guess like your favorite rapper at new, favorite rapper's new album at at their house with at a party with you know it's a vibe, right? Um, yeah. But yeah, I think that like, um, yeah, those moments, right? But I think that like being able to transport you, like it gives you like a first person point of view. I think the ride just really gives you like a first person point of view, like, you know, of what life is like for that person at that moment. It feels like a, like, mm-hmm. it feels like one of those movies where you're in the character's head, right? He's so good. Mm-hmm. He's so good at like putting you in his head. Like, and just even like, yeah. I think that the Drake superpower with the pen is that like, he's able to make things very relatable yes and the, and like things that shouldn't be right like i think that yeah. i think the best like i remember like if i think about like like the con right he has that bar in the con that's like um you know my mom embarrassed to pull my fa- fa- my phantom out so i'll talk about ten, you know a bar five was it let me find it you probably know yeah. better now about five that's houses a, that, down. that's on uh that's on us say what's real my mom oh, embarrassed no, no, so i'll talk about five houses down they said i shouldn't have it until i have the I crown but say I don't what's real. oh my goodness i hope i hope yeah. I, i'm gonna be so it is say what's real oh my goodness i really look i'm over here not not um you know yeah but he's like yeah and my I mother know your Drake history my I know, I'm over here wow. see I'm I'm a, you're, you're a true Drakeologist I'm just like a rookie but he's like no and my mother embarrassed to put my phantom out so I park about five houses down she said I shouldn't have it so I have the ground but I don't want to feel the need to wear disguises around I feel like any other rapper would just be like yo like I have a phantom like look at me I have a phantom it's cool look at me and my phantom and Drake's like I have a phantom but it's strained the relationship between me and my mother <laughs> you know like mm-hmm. and I think that like that's so brilliant because. Not very many people can relate to having a fandom, but everyone can yeah. relate to like your mom disapproving of something that you bought, or just mm-hmm. disapproving about a de- disapproving of a decision that you made. Period. Right. And I think that like he's so good at taking because like his life shouldn't be relatable at all. Like you're like a freaking gigantic rap star, but it's like oh like you know what like you're and I think that's why I think college students relate to it so much because like him leaving Toronto is kind of like us leaving our hometown to go to college. Yeah. And it's like oh wait like it's like a. You're gonna check me again on this one. Uh, which is the one was like, oh, they said, oh, I think it's Club Paradise, right? They said this, they are that all your old girls got somebody new. I said, damn, really? <laughs> yeah. yeah, even yeah, even yeah. Rosemary, even Lan- that's Club Paradise, right? Yep. Um, yeah. All right, yeah. And so, <laughs> see, I don't even have to Google because I got you. Um, and so, like, I think like everyone can like everyone can relate to like you go away for college, you come back, <laughs> you know, you come back that first break, you know, November maybe, and it's like, damn, oh, like, you know, you're like, just the city's moved on without you. Like people have lives, like they didn't things didn't just stop because you left and like yeah. that girl that you like, like she's doing maybe, you know, maybe she's not, I mean, now I'm hitting, you know, I, I end every, every episode talking about dating. I feel like, <laughs> cause Loki, I want to <laughs> long term. I want to transition this to a dating podcast. I say that half jokingly because dating is so like, if you watch, you know, if you, look, if you look at Twitter, especially black Twitter, it's, you know, splitting every, every day. Oh, splitting the rent, splitting the rent, $200 dates, $200. It's like, how many times can y'all talk about $200 dates and splitting the rent? But it's because mm-hmm. that's what people are, that's people's lives, right? Dating. And I yeah. think that, um, you know, like you're, I'm in that era now in my life where like 
a lot of people, especially like the, like the ones who are even just like dogs. It's almost like the more of a dog somebody was, the more now, like you hit that 28 to 32 age and they just start, people just start popping up engaged. Yep. Popping up. So I respect this. You're in a serious relationship now. You're like, you're, you're yeah. not in that band yet. You're getting on it early. It, feel, it felt like there was like a secret meeting that everybody had without me <laughs> where they were like, yo, you know what? Like we're going to really start getting into our, and like I was in a relationship during the pandemic. So I, I've, I've been, mm. I, only, I was in one in college during the pandemic. So it's like, I've never been in one, but yeah. I feel like there's this, like, you just start seeing people pop up and it's like, wait, you, bro, yeah. you used to be a dude. <laughs> you used to be like, you would do yeah. if every other week it was a different, you know, somebody else. And like, they're yeah. really like pop, you know, really, really getting into that era. It um, is a, it's a wild experience to, it's wild to see your friends make that change. And then it's wild to feel it for yourself. Bro, but. one of my college roommates is, I think there's a, so it's not roommates. So like at Harvard, we have these things called blacking groups. So it's like eight, like mm-hmm. up to eight of you. Harvard's on some like Hogwarts, you know, stuff like up to eight of you as freshman, freshman spring, you pick a group about up to eight people you all get sorted into the same house because Harvard has upperclassmen quote unquote houses. You know, almost yeah. if you think about like Gryffindor and Hufflepuff and stuff. And so up, we, mine was six people, including myself. And one of them became a father like two weeks ago or, you know, like, and it's like, that's, I mean, it's weird. Cause like, I mean, if, if I stayed in Texas, then, you know, Texas people get married, you know, 18, 19, 20, you know, you, you, you throw a rock and it hits somebody, you marry them, you know, <laughs> a, a, when you're 18, 19, 20, whatever. But yeah, yeah. it's weird that people are, you know, I, I respect, I like that you're, you know, when I see your your posts, you know, when I see you and your, you know, you and your lady, I'm like, oh, this is dope. Like you're, you know, I, I'm yeah. a, I'm very, especially as I get a little older, I'm like, you know, I think that like nowadays, like being being a guy who's like late twenties or early thirties who's still kind of out outside, it feels like um not not that that's who I am, but it feels like those movies where there's a, a dude who keeps coming back to the high school parties. And it's like, dude, like, you're not yeah. like it feels kind of like, bro, like we're past that. It's it's definitely frowned upon, which. Like for 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 my friends, because I've got friends who are in relationships, friends who are still out here in the streets. I, I I've always viewed dating and interpersonal relationships as like ultimately the goal is to find that one person. Like that, I feel like that's what that's what the goal is. But that's like what society's kind of made the goal. Like people are free to do whatever the hell they want. Like, yeah, you might look crazy at 35, still fucking with young youngins <laughs> and clubbing and all that. You might look crazy, but I think also social media has made it more of a thing where people are, have a microscope to other people's lives and, and, and are judging them. Like you don't have to be a family man if you don't want to, like that's what they've made the goal, but you do not have to you be. Don't, you don't, you don't. For- <laughs> I, you don't i feel like i'm getting like fomo these days i just see people like you know the matching pajamas and all that but I, I remember years ago so a friend of mine was dating russell simmons which is like so mm-hmm. you know kind of and she was like you know i don't frown on age gaps like that but you know she was like he was like late like 56 58 she was probably like 26 or something but um we were cool like me and russell got kind of because it's kind of funny like even if you're russell simmons you still want to be cool with your girlfriend's roommate <laughs> you know like or your girlfriend's friends basically so yeah. me and him were kind of cool i remember one time I think it was after they stopped dating, but like I saw him at Soho House in in LA, and he was like sitting at a table. And I'm, I'm not, I feel like I'm not blowing up a spot. Like Russell Simmons is like obviously people. He's you know he's he's a single man. He can do what he wants. I remember he was at a table with a bunch of like you know this is back when there was the, the, this is before OnlyFans when all the Instagram girls were doing the, those Instagram skits, and like um you know he's at a table with a bunch of Instagram models like 22 year olds. I remember thinking this is kind of like you know like you're like go home. You know I mean it, it's kind of pathetic. Yeah. But then I was like. Yeah. But no, no, exactly. So that was like, wait, let me check myself. Cause like if I were 58 years old, 56, 58, and I was worth like a half a billion dollars and a lot of 22 year olds wanted to hang out with me and 
get with me, I'll probably be like, yo, this is great. Like, who am I to pity him? Like, he's living. But, you know, I do think that, like, as I get a little bit older, I do start to feel like, like, I, when I see you post your girl, I see people post their girls or people post, you know, now, like, kids and, like, masking pajamas. Like, I feel like, and maybe it's just that the grass is greener being on the outside looking in, but I do feel like, <laughs> I mean, everything gets old, but I feel like being outside gets old a lot faster than, like, being, you know, having that person that you talk to yeah. every day that you that you that you know that you love and they love and you support each other yeah. like it, it really i don't know this is like <laughs> this is like <laughs> i think even think like you know with like drake like like being in the strip club throwing throwing a bunch of money at like you know 36 and i hate you know obviously i love drake but like i don't know it, it does feel like there's more it's, i mean he said it himself is there more right is there more than mm-hmm. all these things and i do feel like there is more than that right like there is there is yeah I, yeah there like, is. yeah there is i think that it, and if everyone finds it on their own time, like I'm 27 and I feel like I've experienced enough of outside, which is, is probably crazy to other people who are older than me who feel like they haven't experienced outside yet. And I've yeah, always been outside. is just not I, I'm like, you know, like, um, and maybe this is just the grass is greener type of thing. But I feel like for sure outside just isn't like maybe I'll get in a relationship and be like, yo, this is terrible. I mean, I don't think that's going to happen because I am I have a very <laughs> I have a pretty I've only been in two for a reason. I have a very pretty high bar, not like as far as yeah. like you have to be the baddest, but just like. For us to really click, right? Like, yeah, wit and like funny and like humor and just all that. But I think that, um, yeah, I just think that like it does like as against this era where like you know, like I said, a freaking a, a college roommate of mine is a father. Like he, there's a child who even like one of my cl- like close friends, childhood friends from Houston. Like one of my, yeah. you know, I have like kind of like three really close friends I grew up with, and like one of them like is having a second child, and it's like whoa, like people are parents, and, and like mm-hmm. that looks so much more fun and rewarding and even just like being you know being um even just being a relationship like you know when i see people and like to be fair i think the counterpoint is that like you don't know what's happening on the other side right like it's like oh exactly. these dudes are this these these dudes are posting the matching pajamas but they're also in in like about, about 10 girls dms or something but <laughs> yeah. it does no i'm not you know sometimes but it, it does like mm-hmm. i think i'm getting to a weird age maybe it's like a temporary thing maybe it's the holidays i don't know but like where it's like oh wow like this is really you know like this that looks so much more like it, like I think that like when I was like kind of in that tw- like you know you're 27 when I was in that kind of 20 I mean let's just call it like 18 to 25 era like the flex was bottles and models mm-hmm. you know I got it's a it's somebody you know with on a party at the crib come through I might leave with one I might leave with two you know not me but just like mm-hmm. people right. And yeah. now it, you know, it feels like on a dime it switched where like the flex now, like if you want to kind of show off, it's vacation, it's dinner, it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's the matching pajamas, it's the, I mean, yeah. like you should never be overly concerned. You know, you have to like, it's better to go through life with blinders than to always be comparing yourself, uh, you know, comparison yeah. to Thief of Joy. But it is really interesting watching like how quickly that shift happens. Like I'm sure, you, I feel like you're going to start seeing it a lot like in the next, Probably like two, three years. If you're not seeing it already, where it's like, well, like, I'm, I'm like, seeing it now. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm definitely, I'm definitely seeing it now. And I think everything you mentioned for that 18 to 25 age range, it's great for then. Like, what, well, like when, when, when you're in that, when that's what you want, when you can, when you have the stamina to live that life, it's great for then. I be tired. I, I don't like being out late. I like to go out during the day and then be home at night. Like, I just my priorities, my energy, what I like to do has changed and that lifestyle it's more conducive to being in a relationship i i just don't have the energy oh yeah to be like <laughs> to, to be yeah. juggling multiple well, women oh uh, well i mean I, th- I also think that like 
it's easy to like something because you think you're supposed to like it, right? I think exactly. that like people like it's very easy just to, to like what others are glamorizing, right? So like in uh-huh. that age, people are glamorizing. I'm not university, but people are often glamorizing like especially as dudes, right? Like to be honest, right? Like college, the, like dudes are glamorizing. Get you know being being that guy, like 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 being <laughs> yeah. that like being that guy means. I'm making money. I got a lot of girls. I'm doing this yeah. and that. And I think that you are, I'm outside. I'm at the club. And it's like, wait, do we, it's like, you have to stop and ask yourself is like, do I even like the club? Like, the club's very yeah. loud. Like yeah. the club's loud. You can't talk to anybody. Yeah. Like, I actually prefer being at home, you know, or, 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 maybe, or maybe you do like, like, there are people who just love the club, but I yeah. think it's very easy just to like something because other people like, it. although I could be doing the opposite thing now where it's like people my age are starting to be in relationships. So I was like, Oh, I want to be in one because, <laughs> because of that's what's yeah. being valued now by my peer group. But it is interesting to just see how, like, um, and and you've had this. I mean, this is your, your current girlfriend, like, right? I was like current, but your, your girlfriend was like, you dated in college and stuff too, right? Yeah, we dated in college. We dated for two, almost three years post grad. We broke up for a period of time, and now we're back, and we're completely different people. Like from two years ago when we were together to now, like we've we both grown up a lot. We both live very differently. We see the world differently. We realize. Yo, we was wilding back when we was 24 to 23. We we was wilding, but now like we've got priorities. We've got shit that we want to accomplish and yeah, that I'm, requires us to be to be different, to live differently. So I'll probably listen yeah. to too much Drake, but I I might this might be because I listen to too much Drake, but I'm, I'm I'm a fan of getting back with the ex. Um I think I see I think both <laughs> girls I've dated. <laughs> I think both both <laughs> I was saying, I think both girls I, I was in like actual long term relationships with, we broke up and got back together. Um, and, and obviously broke up again because usually there's a reason you broke up the first time, but I'm not always, but you know, I think that, um, yeah, it's, um, I'm a fan of it. I'm a, cause I think it's like you, know, just, you, just, you just like know each other so well. It's like, wait, why are we doing this? Like, why are we going out trying to find what we had, what we had with somebody else? We could just, let's just have what we had. Yeah. I mean, I, I'll say, and just as a human, of course, when you first break up with someone, it seems right. And then as some time passes and you're lonely, you look back and you're like, damn, do I want that back? Anytime, aside from this one where I've tried to rekindle things, it hasn't been worth it. And I've just with my my current girl compared to anyone else I've been with, I've just never had the burning desire within me to get to get it back the way that I did with her compared to, to, to anyone else. Like no one else has kept me up at night. Like, damn, like I, I really got to make this shit right. Like it's been oh, easy to, to just that's move real. on from a good amount of people I've been with. Like the relationships are great for the time that they were, you know, I, I learned from them, but at this point I, I know who I want. I know what I want. I know what I don't want. I know what I can deal with. I know what I don't want to deal with. And the, this person that I'm with is, She's all of that. She, you know, she gives me what I want. I give her what she wants. I, I I know how to be with her. She knows how to be with me. I, if it's a choice between being, being, being alone, having hoes or being with her, she, she wins every time. And like that, that's, that's not me simping. That's not me trying to get points. Like I, I I've tried, I've tried the single life. I, I've tried to be out in the streets again at, at this stage of my life and it's it's just not for me and and like not to say like she's the best option of the bunch she's the only option because the, the, there was no one else that i wanted to or even thought of in the way that i thought of her so yeah man like it's, it's real 
That's beautiful. It's funny. I, one of my biggest, not my biggest fears, but I, I, I'm recording these in pretty in advance in some of the cases of people. I'm like, I'm like, crap, I hope this person doesn't, they don't break up before this episode comes out. Not you. <laughs> I, I recorded with the, the winner of season four of Love Island, a uh, Love Island yeah. USA. And like, you know, we talk about the relationship. I'm like, okay, I hope, I hope it's still going on. But yeah, no, I think uh, that's beautiful. I think that, um, yeah, I don't know. I think that's, I, I just, I don't know. I don't know if it's like the holidays or if it's like, you know, hitting that eight, like people just around you start kind of, you know, dropping like flies where it's like, oh, you're, yeah. you had a friend who, like we were like me and this friend and me, me basically me and him and this other dude just were really into future. Like during that 2016 run, mm-hmm. and we, just, we had a group chat where we were just like we were just talk about future. Like I feel like male relationships are often just around like music or sports, where it's like you have your boy who like like 80 percent of y'all conversations are about future or about LeBron or about James Harden or something. Which maybe that's not the most healthy relationship, but you know he like <laughs> he, I, I saw that he popped up like engaged you know what i mean like because we, we kind of lost touch like he he deactivated all his stuff we just you know we we're never like best best friends and i yeah. remember i was like on instagram i was like yo like whoa he's like a friend of mine like our mutual friend who's our our, our third friend in the future triad uh group chat like he posted some a girl i was like oh this girl's cute i went to her page and i was like oh she's engaged oh she's engaged to this i was like oh like you popped up engaged like people you know it's happening <laughs> but um, all right yeah. as we wrap it up um okay top Top five Drake song. I mean, that's such a what. Actually, what I, whenever I do your pod, I I kind of want to like, well, like we have to review her loss. Um, like in like yes. for real, for real. Um, yeah, it'll be a little bit old, but I, I almost like the idea of a review when you're not still caught up in the hysteria. At, oh, at this moment, yeah. like you know, it, it's one of those things where like one of my beefs with Drake is that like, and like every time I've ever talked to him, we've never talked about music. It's always been like pretty, you know, like what's up, with, you know, like you know, like just kind of quick high buyers, like messing around. Like I remember I was playing a David Buster's he had a private party in Houston, like. You know, earlier this year and like i was shooting and he you know he comes and he's like yo like you're gonna you know, he's, he's like trash talking me while i'm shooting the ball it's never about music yeah. i feel like you know he has that thing where he's like yo you know on sanders road he's like, where he's like niggas want a classic that's just 10 of these mm-hmm. i'm like well just give them that like people like don't <laughs> like because i feel like he's, he's like I have to, he's always like i have to cater to like my singing fans i have to cater to the fans yeah. of rap and so mm-hmm. he does these things where i feel like like I, i'm not like where clb was i think people used to say this criticism that he just kind of does these like okay i got to do this many rap songs this many singing songs and that's a drake <laughs> album and like clb was the first time i really felt that i felt like okay he felt like okay after like after okay i gotta have like you know two two rap songs and the r&b song i mean i could pull up the track list but you know it's like yeah. this many rap songs this many r&b songs and then this and and i felt like yo like her loss he, bro was just rapping just yeah. rapping bro and like just and like he flipped he it seemed like he was having fun for the first time in a long time like just like yeah because just the i mean look the next bar or whatever i don't know if it was slight i mean but just and i love that he didn't even clarify it because i don't think yeah. you know you, i don't think you should have to or you should yeah it's yeah. just never a winning proposition to come out and like clarify stuff um Absolutely. and so and he's he's very aware of that like he's very good at like just being a celebrity and being because I, I feel like a lot of people are just bad at it where it's like like no offense to nikki and meek but it's like yo if you're a multi multi-millionaire why are you even engaging with you know like, like and like like i love wally like wally and i have been cool like in the past but it's like bro like if people are hating on you online you're like a award-winning rapper who sells out like why are you why do you care mm-hmm. and it's like i get oh you're still human but it's like yo like you're yeah. just like you're just gonna like like if i put out a thing that says drake strangles puppies and then drake puts out the statement like no i don't it's just gonna perpetuate the i mean you're a journalist it's gonna perpetuate the news cycle it's gonna yep. be like it's gonna you know now it's like oh drake denies that he strangles puppies so now drake strangles puppies is in another headline like and he's yeah. very aware like yo like i don't need a response to anything yeah. um but he, i just thought like he, he was having just like the bars and you're know, like you know like just like I mean, there's some of you and I, I will when we do a proper like if you know whenever I go on stay busy and we do a proper you know when the when these Apollo shows if ever happen which you know <laughs> luckily I got the heads up this time like I think I found out like a couple of days before that it was canceled this time because my you know my yeah. boy, uh, and so I was able to kind of 
you know, at least, at least share that, uh, you know, but, um, like, yeah, I think whenever that happens, you know, we'll do that, that, but I think that, yeah, like he was just really having fun. There were like some bars where it's just like, this is like, like just the punchline. It's like, okay, like, bro, you can rap. And I think that's yeah. one thing when we talk about like why people don't want to put him on that rush more. It's one, yeah, I guess it's like a little bit the Quinn Miller thing, a little bit the constant, like, and I get it, like rap, that's one reason Tupac is considered who he is. Like rap has its roots somewhat in the kind of revolutionary countercultural. I mean, if you think about like the, the, the message, right? The Sugar Hill Gang, right? Like that song is about struggle, you know, ratches, roaches in the living room, rat, you know, it's about struggle. It's yeah. about, you know, and, and so it's about conscious, you know, political consciousness, which I think is why people are going to put um, Kendrick, even to a lesser extent, Nas. I mean, Nas isn't, isn't like super political, but I mean, Illmatic is Illmatic. But I think yeah. that, like, you know, so I think that's the first reason. But I think the other reason is that he, he sings so much. And it's like, bro, people forget, bro, you can rap. Yeah. Like, you can, like, middle of the ocean, he's rapping. And, like, he's just all crazy. through her loss, he is rapping, bro. Like, he's really yeah. rapping. Like, what, what, yeah. anyway, yeah, your top five and then your, your quick thoughts on her loss. And then we can wrap For it up. For sure. Um, my top five Drake songs ever. Uh, all right. So emotionless from Scorpion is one of my favorite Drake songs ever. I, I absolutely love that record. Um, come through from nothing was the same is up there. Teenage fever from more life. That's so is, random. I love that song. I, and like me and my, me and my, me and my girl, we like, we bonded over it back in 2017. So it's got like a special, but I also just really love that song. I, I think it's, I think it's one of his best R and B songs ever. Um, so emotionless, Come through, um, teenage fever. I believe. Damn, what's my list? I, I used to. Oh, um, lust for life. Lust for life. Oh, that's that's elite. lust for life. That's elite. I, I, that's elite. I love. I love lust for life. And the five spot is always tough for me. It some days it's um, fucking damn. What is it? Some days it is closer to my dreams. Fire. Um, some days it's dreams money can buy. Fire. Some days it is um, lose you, lose you from more life. Also, they didn't love lose you. They didn't love lose. I mean, I, I liked it when you. I heard it initially, but it kind of didn't age. I don't know. Uh, mm-hmm. Actually, you know, on the album Georgia, I don't know where you ranked it on your on your article, but Georgia interlude is so good. I think I think I put it top ten. I think well, I, listened to, I listened to Georgia Interlude today, and I was like, "Oh yeah, this is just it's, fire." It's really good. It's really good. But yeah, making making a top five Drake songs is is tough for me. But yeah, no, mean, but lose you is definitely in the solid five spot. And as for her loss and like the concept of a rap album for Drake, I just feel like he's never done a pure rap rap album, and he's never going to do a pure rap album. Like if he hasn't done it already, I don't think he's ever going to do it, just because. He came in a dual threat. He's he's the quarterback who can pass and run. And you limit how good he is if you tell him to only pass the ball, to stay in the pocket. When he can run and get you 20 yards, he can grind out a touchdown for you. Like the, the nigga could pass for 200 and rush for 100. Why would you just have him pass? So I don't think we'll ever get that. If he does do it, it would be cool. I would like to see it. But I don't, like for me, there's nothing else he needs to do to make me feel gratified as a fan. He, he's given so much already. And her loss really exemplifies that. He's, I, I feel like he had a lot of fun doing that too. I oh, think yeah. he wrapped I mean, his ass off. It was the and first I, time. I, and, go ahead. It was the first time. I'm sorry. I didn't mean, it was the first time I was like, oh, like in a while where I felt like, oh, like he's really having fun. Like I was like, he's just having, yeah. like he's enjoying rapping. Like it doesn't, it, it, like it didn't feel like, 
a chore where it's like, okay, I got it, man, I got it. And I got when he said that in the in the in that, you know, and I hate it when he said that in that, in that rap rare interview, like, well, you know, I can't I can't just do this or I can't just do that because I have to like each album I have to do two things. I have to, I have to cater to these fans. And I'm like, bro, just like people like just drop the the bar. Like when you say like Sanders Rose, niggas want a classic, that's just 10 of these. Just get like you can do it. Like you can give, you can do 10 of those and it'll put to rest any sort of like I mean, it won't put it to rest because there are people who are just committed. There's like an industry of people committed to just hating Drake. But like it'll yeah. oh wow, you yeah, you had Georgia Interlude number six. All right. So I respect yeah, see, okay, you had Georgia Interlude number yeah. six. So that's a good that's that's a good uh good you had lose you number five. Yeah. Um yeah, but yeah so that's that's, that's a good shit. uh good, that's my shit. yeah. Um but bro, yeah, I, I like truthfully, I feel like if he were to ever do a pure rap album, they would move the goalposts. Like the, 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 they would find something to critique. Even you're even they, if he gave you're people they. They you're the media now. It. You're the you're the media now. So you're they. You're they. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> they. I'm I'm not they. I I appreciate the fact that he's versatile and he's committed to. He's he's not only committed to doing music for multiple people within the album, but he does it at a high level. Like more life gave you teenage fever, and uh, do not disturb, and passion fruit, and sacrifices, and Portland. Like, and what's that? Boy, boy. There's one on there that I really like. Oh, can't can't have everything. That pocket can't have everything that is fire. That flow. That flow. That's a different ass flow. Attitude, like that's a crazy flow. Um, he went yeah, crazy I mean, on that. I can't. If I do a top five, it'll be so skewed because of nostalgia. I feel like it'll be the same thing where he's like, where I felt like the reason he got not mad, but the reason he was like, you can tell he felt almost like a little bit insulted when B Dot was like, "Yo, that the rise is your best song." Because like, bro, I've been. I have so many things since then. You can't tell me that that's my best thing. And but he's gotten I'll, better. He's gotten yeah, better. Since he's then. gotten better. It's tough. It goes back to that nostalgia thing where it's like, crap, like, do you miss, like, whatever artist? Do you miss the old, name an artist, right? Do you miss the old SZA? Do you miss the old Drake? Do you miss the old, you know, well, Kanye is a little bit different, different case, but, you know, do, do you miss the old? I don't, I don't miss the old anyone if I can go back and listen to the old. Yeah, but whatever. it's like, do you miss the old whatever? Or do you just miss who you, you know, like, like we said, like you were, you know, I used to, I used to leave, leave, you know, I was working those banker hours. I leave Goldman at like two in the morning, you know, getting a black car to my, you know, to my apartment. Like I would walk, you know, but if I left past a certain time, I'll take a car. Um, you know, I'd leave and I'd be listening to, you know, I'd be listening to nothing was the same, right? Like that, you know, or was it like, Oh man, that summer I lived in that apartment and I was dating that girl Mm-hmm. And when we were going through it, I listened to Marvin's room because like we we had gotten into a fight at this party, you know, like, and so I think, you know, but if I say my top five, which I'm not at all married to, I guess I'll say the ride. I love the ride. Um, man, jeans like can buy in club paradise are so elite. Cause like, yeah, I'll never forget. I remember, <laughs> I remember like, um, I got mad because I thought that I thought that dreams money can buy club paradise and free spirit. And trust issues were all going to be on take care. And I was like, yo, because I remember, I can't remember if, I think, I think take care must have come out after my, my beautiful dark twisted fantasy, right? I think my it beautiful did, dark yeah. twisted fantasy was 2012. And so I remember yeah, being, because like MBDTF or whatever, like they, they did that good Friday thing where it's like, okay, this is dope, but like you've given me like a third of the album already. So like, what am I, yeah. what do I have to look forward to when you've given me, it's like when the single is the best song, it's like, okay, well, great. That's fun. You know, mm-hmm. the best song I've already heard it a million times. And so yeah. I, remember, I remember thinking like, crap, like club, like, man, this is dope. He's giving us these Lucy's, but like, like the album, I'm going to have heard half of it. And then the album with tracklist mm-hmm. came out. I was like, yo, like Club Paradise, not on there. Trust mm-hmm. Issues, not on. I mean, Marvel's Room, he threw that on there just at the last minute because it was like a, a moment. I was yeah. like, yo, Trust Issues, not on there. Free Spirit, not on there. Marvel's Room, not on there. I'm mean, sorry, Trust Issues, 
uh, Club Paradise, um, Free Spirit, Dreams Money Can Buy. And so I feel like dreams, those two, Dreams Money Can Buy and Club Paradise, I don't know if they're the top five as far as best rapping or if it's just like, this is a moment where you're like, oh, like this artist is different, mm-hmm. right? Like this is, like he's rapping in a different way and he's rapping in a way that's so relatable where it's like, you know, yeah, I do want art money. You know, I do want, you know, like I do want, you know, like, yeah, like the girls that I, I mean, I, I'm not gonna front. I went to private school. So it's like I really had girls back home who moved on, mm-hmm. but just like, whether it, it's just like that idea of like the place that you left, you coming back and you're trying to find where you fit in there because yeah. you've been gone for however long, right? It's real. Um, and so I guess like you know what the ride, oh, jungle. Special. After the ride, jungle, days in the east, dreams money can buy club paradise. But I, don't, I mean, bro, I love rich like her loss. I love rich flex. I love circle loco. Um, I mean, middle of the ocean. I, I can't do a top five because it's just it's. It's, the it's hard. The discography is just too strong. But anyway, we could go for. I mean, when we when I do stay busy, you know, hopefully whenever this this Apollo thing. I just came back from New York. It was lovely. It's funny. I haven't been in New York in five years. So I was like, mm. I left there because I was like, I had such, you know, I associate New York with like working these crazy banker hours and it's cold. And I'm like, you know, I'm doing I'm doing the Wall Street thing, even though I'm just you know, the money is great, but like it's miserable. And just other stuff that was that was going on in my personal life around that time. And so I hadn't gone to New York in like five years. And so like I, I went and I was like, oh, wow, this place is still pretty dope. But anyway, oh, tell people yeah. where they can find you. Absolutely. So y'all can follow me at Armand Sadler on Twitter and Instagram, A-R-M-O-N-S-A-D-L-E-R. If you do want to listen to Stay Busy, you can, we're on all streaming platforms, Stay Busy with Armand Sadler. You can follow us at Stay Busy Pod. There's a Patreon um, yeah. too. There's a Patreon. There's a Patreon. Patreon.com backslash Pod. $10. You get a bunch of exclusive content, fun stuff um yeah you can find my writing on vibe you can find you can look up google my name you'll see my portfolio and you'll see all my writing that i've done everywhere um yeah that's about it man that's, that's, thanks uh, for having me hey you're right. last quick very thing who's like now that you you know you say you didn't have mentors in the game but i feel like now you have to right you're at vibe like who is elliot wilson like who's who's taking you under their wing i still don't really feel like i have anyone i can call a mentor i've got people i can that I'm cool with that I can go to for advice, but I don't feel like anyone has like grabbed me and said, I'm going to like show you the way. And I'm thankful for that because it created a hunger within me to seek out information, to network with people. Like I really felt like I was out here moving on my own and I've developed so many relationships now and so many people respect me and people that I looked up to and wanted to be cool with and wanted them to follow me back years ago are like damn near my peers now. So, um, I mean, there are people I look, I like, I, I, I love speedy Mormons interview style. I think Elliot and B dot have a good, great interview style. Um, but it's not even like too many people out here that I really like that. I really like enjoy, or think like are people that I should aspire to. I really do believe that I'm one of the best out here right now. And there are people who are still just, you know, learning about who I am and what I am. But I think if you check, check the material, check out my content, like check the resume. There's, there's, there's not, there's not too many people competing with me. Uh, No, it's crazy. I was looking, I was trying to find your more life ranking. I was like, bro, how many freaking articles have you written for a vibe? Like you're, you're, (laughs) I'm like, yo, it's like a freaking, is it like 
two articles a day like how you know your your, your, yeah. your bylines are, are crazy you're, you're pumping we out do, um, we do daily news writing a lot of it because that's the, that's something you have to do as a writer see i've i've got a lot a lot there already just yeah I was, I was shocked because like, yeah there's a lot well anyway i mean i think you're gonna like as far as the mentorship thing i'm sure you're gonna find somebody someone's gonna find you but also you're gonna, like in a short amount of time i know you're gonna be that person for somebody right you know exactly like the person who puts the pulls them up and shows them so man it was great to have you man i really appreciate it taking course, the time bro. uh we're gonna do uh we're definitely when, when i'm in new york we're gonna do a stay busy uh, uh crossover i can't wait i love your studio um you know i love your your interview style and, I, and like i want this isn't about me but i want to when i get there we can talk about you know the 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 the, the times you know the the the, the what was it? what's that line um I can tell you about the, the, the safe house nights out in Calabasas, <laughs> yeah. you know, but um, yeah, no, we'll do it. Well, yeah, it was great to have you, man. Uh, thanks. For Thank you, me. bro. I appreciate you, man. That was Armand Sadler. Uh, make sure you like review, rate, comment, subscribe, all those amazing, fantastic uh, engagement verbs and uh, catch you next episode.